fanficmedia.com presents Beyond the Wall, a Game of Thrones podcast. With hosts, Christiana Ellis, Chuch Schubert, Vivid Muse, and Nookchus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Season 7 of Beyond the Wall. Tonight, we're discussing Episode 6 of Game of Thrones, titled Beyond the Wall. With no spoilers, best the currently aired episodes. (laughs) HBO finally did it, man. They recognize greatness. Yep. Yep. All it took was us naming uh, our show after a common phrase used frequently within <laughs> the show We will totally take this. This is about us. It's a winning. <laughs> right? <laughs> I am not diminishing. Clearly, that, you know, it, that's what it, we laid the groundwork. Right? <laughs> Put in the time. So, uh, anybody have any news bits? Uh, I didn't, but Mike McCauley in the chat just said, any chance we might touch upon the prequel announcement tonight? And that's the first I'm hearing about it. That's the first I'm hearing of it. Um, <laughs> I have not been watching the news the last couple hours. <laughs> I've, I've heard mumblings, but uh, uh, before while we're looking that up, uh, the actor that plays um, Torment. Mm-hmm. Go check out his Facebook page. On there, you will find video of him and the actor pl- who plays the Hound goofing off uh, on set, uh, including the Hound uh, being a little slap happy and uh, <laughs> playing the guitar in his trailer. Um, and Tormund playing with an action figure of himself and a polar bear reenacting the whole bit with Sheila, which was alluded to in this episode. It's hilarious. He is a joy and a delight. <laughs> cool. Someone actually Googling it? Because I didn't. So, yeah, I'm looking and I'm not seeing <laughs> Oh, Jay Thomas died. Um, oh, that is sad. So, was what yeah. I was expecting to hear, but that is sad. George R. R. So Martin clarifies reports that he doesn't watch Game of Thrones. Okay, so maybe Mike McCauley needs to clarify what he what the hell he's talking about, unless he's just making stuff up. Mike would never make stuff up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so uh, then to this show, the penultimate episode. Uh, well, of this season. Of this season. Yeah. (laughs) Don't want to start any rumors. Um. This uh, this episode, I think um, I want to go. Well, we only had really had two places of mm. consequence that lots of stuff yeah. happened in Winterfell, lots of stuff happened beyond the wall, a little bit in Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'd like to just take those areas together and go through them, starting with Winterfell. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Here's. Not to, I guess, just jump in, although I, I am doing that unless someone's going to stop me. <laughs> well, um, he was going to do an intro to this. Oh, sorry. <laughs> that I think. Please, well, I mean, please go. yeah, it all kind of, um, it all centers around Arya and Sansa and that scroll. So that was the first scene there where Arya shows the scroll and uh, they start to have their little talk about it that we thought would be pretty quick and, you know, 
pretty pretty easy going, and it was not. Mm-mm. Is that yeah. the, <clears throat> those direct scenes you want to talk about? Uh, well, so we talked last time about you know hoping that like Arya wasn't going to fall for it, mm-hmm. and I feel like at least the scenes on the surface level in this episode seem like she is falling for it, or at the very least, even if she is aware of the manipulation taking place, it works anyway. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. It's like, regardless of whether she knows that Littlefinger meant for her to find it and why she is still mad about the content regardless. <laughs> yes. I was pretty disappointed in that. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. That was pretty annoying. It, um, yeah. <clears throat> it I had lots of feelings on this uh, whole thing. You know, uh, okay, so she really doesn't care about Sansa's excuses. She doesn't care that Sansa said that she was forced into it. She She's not willing to give her the benefit of the doubt or anything. And it... <laughs> It is unsettling for me because it just sounds like, well, did you fight hard enough? Did you kick? Did you punch? Did you scream? You know, and right. it, it clarifies how much abuse one person is able to take. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time with people judging other people's experiences in, in that regard. I mean, like, yeah, there's sometimes that we can say, all right, whatever. But uh, I don't know. So there, there was that side of it. And then there was a side of it where I was just like, oh, I should have expected that I couldn't predict Arya's reaction. I <laughs> <laughs> well, like how we, you know, we talked before, before they were talking about it. No, 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 I'm sorry. So when they first were reunited, and like, okay, so of course they're going to catch up. They're going to talk about each other. And clearly none of that has happened. They have not seen each other at all. I've been through things you can't imagine. Oh, I've got a pretty big imagination, you know. I don't know. It all kind of just kind of bugged me. <laughs> it's all yeah. seems very mm-hmm. convenient. <clears throat> I felt better in one way and worse in another way in this episode uh, regarding this whole thing because, on the one hand, I I I feel like there's a couple of different layers happening, and on one layer, well, okay. I, I I need there's I'm not clarifying myself very well here. There's two possible outcomes I think to this situation, right? One is that what we're seeing is what's happening straight up and that's the direction they're going. The other is that we are being set up for some sort of a reversal. Um, which I suspect is actually more likely personally. Mm-hmm. But we have no way to know because they're deliberately preventing us from knowing and setting up red herrings, if that's the case. So hard to say. Um, But I think it's very obvious that in this episode, they're practically making Arya a horror movie villain. Um, That's the way they shoot her. Like They even do that thing where... Sansa's looking around in the room. She bends down to look under the bed. And then when she kind of sits up again, we see Arya standing over her shoulder. I mean, that's like a horror movie gag. <laughs> um, that so, is total Night King behavior right there. 
Yeah. So to take a character that has always been a fan favorite protagonist and treat her that way relatively suddenly, even as we've seen her taking a darker path, that's still, this is a, a little bit of a leap. So if it's all straightforward, I'm going to continue to be disappointed. But that said, I thought it was interesting to think about how even though they do have family in common and all of the things that led Arya to come back to Winterfell in the first place, the truth is those two never got along. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When they were together as kids before all this stuff happened, they fought constantly. They have extremely different worldviews, and now both of them are traumatized and defiant by the choices about the choices they've made, which are very different from one another. And so that said, it is still always true that when you even when you spend a lot of time apart from family and you develop different personality behaviors, you often revert once you're back with those people again. And so the idea that they're falling into these old bickering patterns, even now that the stakes are so much higher, struck me as fairly plausible actually. Um, and in a way that like, I wasn't happy it was happening but I thought that it seemed at least well depicted. Now that said, one of the ways that I think that they may be planning to turn this around on us is simply that Arya, you know, she specifically talks about the game of faces and the idea of, it, it, they specifically bring up her training in being able to both lie effectively and read people effectively. Mm -hmm. And given that I feel like as the audience, they are telling us in this episode that Arya is in the wrong. I feel like the way they make Arya act in this episode, we can't help but take Sansa's side not necessarily in defending everything Sansa does now, but feeling that Arya is being unfair. But what mm -hmm. might be the turn is that Arya is saying, is having to push Sansa in order to be sure what she's really thinking. Mm. So like confront her with the evidence to see how she reacts, tell her and reveal these secrets. Because for one, do we think Arya really would hide those faces just in a simple little ba leather bag right under her bed? Right. No. <laughs> you wouldn't think so. That seems unlikely. Um, especially when it was obvious when Arya shows up that it's not like Sansa had rolled well on her stealth check, so to speak. <laughs> so that seems like it might have been a setup. But yeah, so I, I can't help it, but wonder if that's what's going on. Um, so I, I guess that's kind of skipping ahead to the later scenes in that track. But but just even with this first scene, I guess, to revisit it, I, I will say that even though I'm not happy that they're arguing and bickering in this way, it did strike me as plausible and also more in keeping with some of what the show used to do more often, which is to subvert the things that we think we expect. Mm. 
from classic I, fantasy tribes. It, you bring up an interesting point. So when Arya was at the in at the crossroads and she heard that John was alive, she decided to come back. If she found out it was Sansa who had won Winterfell and Sansa was the one who was at Winterfell and that was the only person she had known was there, would she have returned? Right. I don't no, think, I think she would have. I agree. I think she would have gone for Cersei. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I hope that we this pays off. I hope that there is something interesting that is going to happen. What I think I will be cheesed with is if it turns around and we get a, well, the scenes that you didn't see at the same time were Sansa and Arya collaborating, behind, right. you know, secretly and and all of right. this ploy for Littlefinger and you know because you're showing us scenes now don't don't do that nonsense and that's something that TV shows love to do they mm -hmm. love to go back and say oh yeah but we didn't show you everything um so i really hope that that's not one of the things um i will say that the theorists are having fun with this scene mm -hmm. and this series of scenes and um yeah, I, I I don't think that many of them are true. Like the fact that, oh well, you know, Arya's pretending to be to be Littlefinger and, right. and he's killed off screen mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, they're fun to think about. And that's all I got it's, for these. Yeah, it's fun <laughs> speculation, but they definitely are leading us down a certain path here. Mm -hmm. And it will be it's, disappointing if it's a Scooby Doo swap thing. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If it was, if it's like a double cross, my assumption is that that it's only Arya doing the double cross, and Sansa's kind of in the middle because, you know, like that argument that they had, they didn't show Littlefinger hiding in the wings, eavesdropping or anything. So, you know, why would they have that argument mm -hmm. for an audience of nobody? Yeah. <laughs> Unless it is Arya pushing Sansa. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Definitely yeah. interesting. At the beginning of I thought at the beginning of the scene it was really poignant and touching and a beautiful place to have it because when they started it, Sansa and Arya were were looking down and we had like a child's view of what their parents look like on that same platform where their parents looked down on them. And it was just really kind of it was chilling the closer that Arya got to revealing what her what she was suspecting of, of Sansa. And it was just, it was just really neat because of the way that they shot it. It was really beautifully done. And Arya mm -hmm. gave a speech on the arrow and going back for each that one arrow each time, and nobody could see her. And then realizing that Daddy's a feminist and isn't it awesome, you know? And then she ends up accusing Sansa of beheading Ned, which is yeah. like that was that's pretty much like what she did to Walder Frey too, or to the not to Walder Frey, but to the Freys mm -hmm. as Walder mm -hmm. Frey, and it just. At, on the one hand, it seems so much like her, but at the same time, it's like, you know, moving around within the, the scenes with Sansa and Arya, like um, Christiana, that scene with Littlefinger, his speech pattern and Arya's speech pattern were remarkably similar. So I can see why people were thinking that Arya might be, you know, might be wearing Littlefinger's face, but I, I just don't think otherwise that we're getting any indication to make that conclusion. Like, mm -hmm. well, not only that, speculation. 
Yeah. Uh, but Littlefinger is such a big character. It would be really kind of BS to have him die off screen just so we could do a switcheroo like that. Mm-hmm. That's that's not cool. In my book, any dead Littlefinger <laughs> is a damned good <laughs> Littlefinger. I, I did like the, uh, the idea, though. Um, I was having a discussion with somebody in one of the groups, and it was... Uh, yeah, but wouldn't that be just so fitting after all of his conniving and everything else? He got an off-screen death. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's 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 like saying to the fans, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to do him wrong just for you. No, I don't like that. I don't like that. <laughs> well, I'm not saying I like it, but I mean, they're going to well, cliffhanger us like somewhere. It. And I just, my right. main my main wish is that they do not cliffhanger us. I don't care about the Danny and John relationship. Fine, that can be the cliffhanger. Just do not leave me dangling mm-hmm. on what's going on with these sisters. And yeah. and I'm pretty sure that since we're going into the last episode, that's exactly what they're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, so I, I get, are we kind of trying to stick with the individual scenes, or are we just doing the whole Arya Sansa thing? Just because uh, there's some yeah, comments yeah, in the chat. All together, okay, because yeah. uh, Mike is asking the significance of the knife scene. Arya gets all creepy, pulls out a knife, and hands it to Sansa. Well, I, I feel like there's there's two possible things going on there. I mean, one, that's the scene where she specifically brings up the whole game of faces, and the significance of that to my mind, is it's all about how Arya is saying, I have been trained not only to lie effectively, but also to tell when other people are lying. And that sounds to me like what the, you know, the, the purpose of the scene is, is that Arya, like, I don't think what's happening is that Arya and Sansa are secretly plotting together and it's all a joke on on Littlefinger. That doesn't make sense if it's just the two of them in the room. What does sound plausible to me is that Arya senses the real conflict in Sansa, which is that she does have some jealousy and resentment against John. Now, that's not to say she would act on it, but there are mm-hmm. some of those feelings there. And so I think what Arya is doing is trying to find out if she will act on it. She is trying to push the issue, create stress, and and look at the responses. And, and so I think that's what Arya is trying to do. But I wonder if what's what might be ha- going to happen in the story, though, is to, like, it, it could possibly have a tragic outcome in the sense of if Arya is underestimating Sansa she might not anticipate what Sansa would do as a result of being pressured like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I can't quite reconcile into what exactly is going on. Sorry, my, my dog is <laughs> sniffing around stuff behind me. Um, Sansa sending Brienne away, especially after the scene with Littlefinger where that they, they imply that the reason to send Brienne away might be because Brienne would intervene if one or the other sister tried to do something. But for Sansa to send Brienne away, if we're meant to believe that it's related to that, would suggest that Sansa is planning to do something to Arya, um, which I don't feel like is supported from what has come before. Like, I don't, I don't, that doesn't make sense to me. Now, the other, the flip side of that is if with this invitation from Cersei, 
what, you know, what, what should she do? Like, cause she probably shouldn't go. Not only right. would she not want to, but also the Lords were already mad about John going. If she were to leave too, that's just kind of like, <laughs> no. So I like, I don't, so it makes sense to me that she would send someone and Brienne seems like a reasonable person to send. And then also from a meta level, getting Brienne down there where she can inter interact with those characters again, seems good. But the idea that it's maybe somehow tied to what Littlefinger was saying bothers me. And the one other thing about that, <laughs> that Sansa and Littlefinger scene that irritates the hell out of me is she says, I haven't even heard from John in weeks. And I'm like, what? Why not? <laughs> there is literally no reason he couldn't, he not, wouldn't have sent <laughs> several ravens. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that, that struck me as fishy. That, well, maybe that it, it took Go them ahead. weeks to hike beyond the wall. So the last raven was from Eastwatch. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, that jumps into the other plot line, uh -huh. but uh, there was an actual <laughs> interview uh, with the um, producers specifically addressing the issue of the timeline of like how long they were there on the island and the sending the raven and Gendry running back and then the dragons and so on. And they basically kind of said, so to paraphrase what they said more diplomatically, we kind of knew it didn't make sense, but yeah. That, that's pretty much how I feel about it. That's, yeah. I, that's how I feel about the travel. What were you going to say, Nettie? Um, I'm not even sure I'll get back to it. Uh, but uh, the quote that comes to mind there is, uh, the reason the, the books took so long to come out, and, and you'll see George talk about this all the time, is every time he wrote himself into a corner, he had to write himself back out and he had to rewrite. You know, each book it wasn't just written. It was rewritten many, many times uh, due to plot things like this. Right. The show can't do that. So they just go, we'll just throw a big scene in there. Nobody will pay attention. Mm. And that's what they do. And, um, you know, it's like when I kind of feel like I have to go, okay, whatever, Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, the, I think the thing I was going to talk about before was uh, I don't understand her sending Brienne away. Uh, I don't think that she actually thinks Brienne would harm her. I, I've, people seem to think that Littlefinger was putting it into her head that Brienne has to be loyal to both of them so she wouldn't be loyal to Sansa and that just doesn't make any sense like I understand yeah they were connecting on the training field but no I right. I, I don't buy it I don't buy right. any of it I'm not sure what the deal is to me all of this comes down to um, now was that the cat's paw dagger that she handed yes. Yes. so Arya does not have the cat's paw dagger now we are Santa believe does. we believe right what they've shown us so unless it's yeah. a duplicate of some sort which makes no sense yeah well okay but i i i my my gut is that i don't know that we want to that that's a big deal because they were in Arya's room and i don't see any reason that sansa would literally just carry that dagger out with her with no sheath okay well after that conversation my assumption was she would just set it back down yeah. but that's the last yeah, thing we saw was it within yeah. her was in so her we hand. don't know uh, we don't know. And and the other we thing is, uh, and Mike kept talking about like what was the deal with the whole handing her the dagger thing, 
And I'm thinking that it's a lot like the trope that we've seen in the show before, where someone of the power position proves how much power they have by giving a weapon to someone in the weak position. We saw mm -hmm. Ramsey right. Snow do it with Theon when he, he had him shave him. Uh, right. Theon could have cut him. We see this all the time. And it's not a trope that I like, and I think it's stupid. Mm. Uh, but that to me is kind of like how i read that scene yeah um the other thing is brienne is now going to be in king's landing where everybody else is going to be <laughs> and and that's basically what this all comes down to yeah. uh these scenes really I'm, i was not that invested in um but uh i did read getting to your point about the whole game of thrones thing somebody on reddit figured it out like all of the math on how everything could have happened. And I looked through it and I was like, yeah, but they'd still be dead of hypothermia. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, we just have to suspend disbelief yeah. on some of this stuff. Well, exactly. The show producers so, themselves admitted yeah. it doesn't make sense. It doesn't mm -hmm. for the cinema. I, yeah, I just don't care. I mean, the, the yeah. subject holds no interest to me. Yeah. We've got flying yeah. dragons. We've got all kinds of shit. I just don't care about the timeline. <laughs> I've been waiting decades for this. <laughs> they can go as fast as they want. I'll get whiplash, but I'll be right there. Hmm. But and on it's the thing with... Go hmm? ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was finish. just going to say, and it's insane that, that John's not written. Like, he's received ratings. Yeah, that's just dumb. No word back. Especially since for a large chunk of that time, he's literally just been sitting around Dragonstone moping. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like there is literally no reason for him not to have sent a Raylan. No. So Chuch and I were talking about the Arya and and um, or no the little finger and Sansa scene, and the only thing that I can come to is that either there's a big you know face changing switcheroo and Arya doesn't want Brienne around for it because she's the only. Uh oh, we lost Viv. Oh, you dropped. Oh, mid sentence too. Um, just to, uh, as a as a space filler, um, to echo what Nunny was saying about handing over the knife, like again, whether or not we like that as something for Arya to do, the impression that I definitely got was Arya saying, "You, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yeah." Sorry, you were in the middle of a sentence, Fifth. Yeah, wasn't I though? Sorry about that. Um was just that, you know, I don't think it's a face changing swap, but I can see why some people are going that way. Like I said, their speech patterns when Littlefinger and Arya spoke to Sansa were the same, but big whoop. She studies people, that's what she does. Um, but it was like the, the main point it was, was that I just think that Littlefinger likes being the one, the, the one adult that has some weight with both girls he doesn't want anybody else there. He doesn't want Brienne there. He wants to be, be able to pull and manipulate and not have Brienne give input. And I think that he's basically saying to Sansa that, you know, without saying it, your sister's kind of a threat right now. And I don't think we want anybody to intercede on her behalf to the lords and ladies that are here, here protecting you. That was how I took it, which was him just being protective of him being the quote, you know, Svengali for them. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for Littlefinger being in love with Sansa, a plot that might make sense for him would be to try to frame Arya for killing Sansa. And then he would have no choice but to yeah. 
carry on as regent in their stead until John right. comes back, which maybe he won't. Yeah. That sort of thing. But that said, I don't think that jives with what we've seen from Littlefinger, right. which is that he definitely seems very invested in trying to actually get with Sansa at some point, and he's not giving up on that, is my guess. Um, but yeah, so I don't think it makes sense that it was actually Arya dressed, you know, using Sansa's face. Because, I mean, even though obviously the rules have never been, you know, clearly established, my impression has still been, even up through this episode, that she needs to kill someone to take their face. Yeah. You can't, you, she can't wear the face of someone who's still alive. Yeah, agreed. Um, right. Yeah, totally. I, I get that. Yeah. Yeah, and so I, I'm not trying to say you were saying otherwise. I'm just saying I, I feel like that's, um, I, I'm agreeing with you that I don't think that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I bring up, sorry, <laughs> I bring up theories all the time. That doesn't mean I think mm. that's what's going on. Uh, one I of my favorite know. things about this series are the theories. And even right. theories that are completely out there, they entertain me so much. Because yeah, we had so many years without new content. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that just reminds me. Uh, uh, do we do we want to get into the 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 big brand theory that's spreading around right now? Uh, let's hold off and save that for the end if we don't okay. run too long. For I, I don't want to keep everybody up again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> One other thing. Off of uh, the Stark sisters, um, there was a clip from. Uh, We've got two it? more scenes, I think. Car karaoke, Maisie Williams and uh, Sophie Turner. Yeah, that's her name. Mm -hmm. uh, just reading random lyrics as Sean Bean. And apparently that's how everyone got their accents, but th that's a game that they used to play, and it was mm. hilarious. <laughs> I highly recommend you check it out. So we've so definitely the... got, but Brienne and Podrick have both headed towards King's Landing now, and that's an important thing to track because we know that Jamie, mm -hmm. you know, that should be interesting. Yep. Jamie, the hound, Dormand. Jamie, Cersei, yeah. now Preggers again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Brian's gonna have an arched eyebrow for that, big time. Mm -hmm. so, 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 is this like is Brian falling into a love triangle? She's been in one, honey. Did you see the look <laughs> that Jamie gave her and the look she gave him back over her shoulder when they were going away from uh, where was it, River Run, at the end of season six? It was very soap opera. It was so precious. I just couldn't yeah. live without it. Well, I think they're all mutual respect, though, not yeah. romance. Well, yeah. I feel like I, Brienne obviously has trust issues. So that makes any romantic relationship very difficult and would of have course. to move very slow. Um, but I think that what's going to be really interesting vis-a-vis -vis the Brienne and Jamie dynamic is that the last time Jamie really, you know, was sort of most on the good side of his moral spectrum was when he was with her. Mm -hmm. And there was this sort of expectation when, when she left 
King's Landing with, you know, with the armor and the sword was this idea of maybe he's turned a new leaf and he's thinking that too. And they've sort of mutually acknowledged her recognizing that there's good in him and him noticing her notice it and liking that and that sort of thing. But for him to have sort of gone back to such, you know, it feels, I, 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 the word that keeps coming to mind is, is cowardly because he just kind of keeps retreating back and accepting things that he should know better. Right. Um, and that's um, exactly, so, by the way, what you just described is exactly what I meant when I said, OMG, Brienne is going to be in King's Landing with Jamie yeah. and Cersei. I just didn't say it as, as fully as you did, but that's totally it. And I We're think another, so I'm not talking about like, oh my God, they're going to bang. I mean, like they have that, you know what? <laughs> Yeah, because yeah. no, neither I, one of them no, are about that. I just think it's a love triangle. So. Totally. <laughs> no, I just I think it's going to be really interesting because he's going to be torn again. Yeah. But um, I think I have a question that I wanted to ask you guys. Um, do you think it's possible that the and and maybe it was I mean it was always a part of the books, but Arya and her list, the ever the ever shortening list that she has of people that she wants to kill. Do you think that they are, and I didn't, you know, I didn't read book five and don't yell at me for it, but do you think that it's possible that they're merging Arya's vendettas with a uh, part of like Lady Stoneheart's saga since they haven't put that in yet, like the revenge seeking, because it really ties in nicely together. It's like kind of adorable. <laughs> vengeful path in the books. Yeah, that's one word for it. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, um, Chooch? Oh, well, no, you didn't read that far in the book, so I won't ask you because that's mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you think of this character that we've just been using initials for yeah. this whole time? <laughs> what will be interesting potentially along that line, though, I mean, I, I, I don't know if they're trying to connect those storylines because on the one hand, we also kind of still don't really know how that turns out in the books yet either. Um, but, uh, right. one of the things that's interesting to think about is that Beric Dondarrion and Thoros were on Arya's list specifically for giving Gendry away, mm. which I don't know that he forgives them or lets them off the hook exactly, but he does seem persuaded to stop complaining about it. And yeah. so given everything that's going on, I think it would be unreasonable for Arya to feel like she still needs to murder them. So would she still? Right. <laughs> what about you, Nettie? Um, so I feel like Arya's list uh, was ever important in the books and ever important here. Um, I, after seeing Jessica Jones, by the way, I feel like the list is uh, kind of like Jessica's street name thing. Uh, especially in the books, you know, it's it's how she calms herself down. It's how she gives herself purpose. I'm not sure that they're merging uh, Lady Stoneheart and Arya because I believe Lady Stoneheart was working with the Brotherhood and because Arya had the Brotherhood on her list, uh, there's some... No, I'm not, I don't there. mean like, I didn't mean like... No, a I, I understand. I meant just like how they merge different characters yeah. within Made Raws or whatever. Uh, I truly feel like the show writers have no idea who lady stoneheart is and they didn't read any of the epilogues or any of that stuff <laughs> and all of us who have been anticipating and waiting and hoping to see lady stoneheart 
uh, are just going to be disappointed. And I'm, you know, unless I am surprised, and that'll be a fine surprise. Maybe it'll be one of the spinoffs. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just giving up on it. <laughs> Honestly, right? I, I don't, I don't want her to be in the show. Like, certainly not at this point. I feel like yeah. if they were going to do it, it's way too late. But I'm also like, not really a fan of that plot in the books either, personally. Mm. I just remember when I was reading it, it was, whoa, everything's changing. Yeah. This is what happened. And this happened south of the wall. And yeah. it just felt like such a big game changer. Mm -hmm. Um, But... I can, sorry, I just got to say, as a parent, it was very satisfying to have... I can see that shit happening. <laughs> so that's what happened. That's what Lady Stoneheart is, Chooch. <laughs> Oops. Shit. We got, we got to edit that out, baby. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot to talk about with with that character, but uh, um, hmm. yeah, let's maybe not today. So yeah. getting back to the whole love triangle. So just to be clear, my love triangle is Tormund, Jamie, Brienne. There's no Cersei in there. <laughs> That's just wishful sweet. thinking on your part. <laughs> just, just, just so everybody is clear where my allegiances are. Um, book, I am Jamie Brienne forever. Show, I am Tormund Brienne forever. And I know in both cases, Brienne, well, at least in the show, Brienne just don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> but Tormund's affection for Brienne is amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. The the last things for me with this, I was also I was disappointed with, you know, how the initial thing went. And I was really disappointed that Santa immediately confides in Baelish. Mm -hmm. I kinda get like she doesn't really have anyone else to talk to. Well but after yeah. all of her posturing of I know him, da -da 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 -da, she immediately runs to him and is apparently taking his counsel. Fuck. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, they might try to turn that around with, you know, ha ha, we were working against you the whole time. Right. It was a trap. But uh, mm, um, yeah. I, I, if, if that, honestly, personally, if that's what they're doing, I don't like the way they're going about it. Yeah. Um, stretching it out too long. I just feel like stuff like this is proof that the showrunners are, and I'm doing it in quotes not to negate it, but to stereotype it. They're male. And that's, you know, it, it's <laughs> all of the other things that I've disagreed with them. And it, it, yeah. like that's not what I would see a person who's been through what they've been through and what they've done doing. So I'm just, all right, whatever. Well, I mean, I, you know, if we want to bring the showrunners into it, I, not that I disagree with what you're saying, because I think that there's definitely that element that they probably did not even consider. But I think that there's also just an element of given the show's sort of shift in emphasis, um, they really just need there to be drama and cliffhangery sorts of things for every plot line in every episode. Even so like if the plot would otherwise be Sansa and Arya hang out in Winterfell and don't trust Baelish until John gets back. I mean, 
then why do we even check in on them, right? So they have, they're trying to come up with stuff to happen there. Now mm -hmm. that said, I mean, honestly, even though it, does, it would not make me happy to have something really tragic there, I would honestly be kind of impressed and respect the show uh, for being willing, you know, we've talked about when the show pulls its punch or not, to mm -hmm. have the two sisters really just be completely unable to get past their differences leading to some sort of a tragedy uh, that that's more like the old school show <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and certainly the uh the world building has history of siblings being unable to reconcile their differences oh, that's yeah. a thing <laughs> very true yep have any other parting thoughts on Arya Sansa Baelish I'm afraid to say a damn thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, good. I do want to say that not having spoiled it now that we're in until season seven is pretty remarkable for me. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it took a lot of than I was expecting. I was really dreading this season. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's head over to Dragonstone. Actually, it's really just one brief. The mm -hmm. other one will well uh well it's not really much of a scene but so this one <laughs> Tyrion and Danny mm -hmm. discuss brave men and meeting Cersei yeah um which devolves into Tyrion wanting to basically discuss succession and Danny is not mm -hmm. interested until she wears the crown and kind of turns yeah. it on him a little bit like you've been thinking about my death a lot haven't you <laughs> but it's kind yeah. of his job because <laughs> she turns it on him with the whole Right. You know, your long-term strategy, you should need to think about the short term, otherwise you wouldn't have been defeated, which we know is kind of bullshit because well, it, it, it wasn't yeah. the plan. <laughs> it, well, for, I think it really seems like avoidance on her part. That's how it comes mm -hmm. across to me is that she just doesn't want to talk about it because it's an uncomfortable topic. And so she turns mm -hmm. it on him as a defensive tactic. That's That's how that came across to me. I don't know what they're doing with Tyrion this season because they, first of all, they give him the nice speech about you talking about like, you said you wanted to break the wheel. I'm trying to help you do that because I believe you can and I know you want to and I want that too. But some of the stuff you're suggesting and complaining about why can't I do this is like, well, because the guy who built the wheel did that. <laughs> right. right. So I kind of have a theory that relates to that because I got kind of annoyed with her ongoing questioning of his loyalty because she does it so often. It's like, I wonder if they aren't just trying to show us how he can get so very frustrated with him wanting to believe in a ruler that he's, you know, he's done a whole lot for her, but he's done a whole lot getting to her and trying to find somebody. He and Varys both agree that they need somebody that has the realm's interests. And I don't think he sees that in Danny. And I think they're showing us how frustrated mm -hmm. that he is as it builds to him eventually, insert whatever the heck he might or might not do. You know what I mean? I think mm -hmm. we're building towards maybe a conflict with Tyrion and we have to feel justified that he's doing that as the sound of the voice of reason maybe. Uh, yeah, I, I just had a horrible thought while you were saying that. Um, <laughs> Because it, I agree with you, it seems like they're building to something 
with that, with her repeatedly questioning his loyalty and him yeah. just kind of being frustrated. Um, what if Cersei's plan to try to screw over Daenerys and Tyrion all in one go is to try to somehow convince Daenerys that Tyrion is betraying her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would be yeah. effective. It's a very Cersei move too. Yeah. Cause <laughs> and, and right now, Danny, I think, I think that Tyrion's frustration is real because all that Danny is thinking about is winning the iron throne, at least until the whole battle North of the wall happened. But up until that point, her frustrate his frustration has got to be partly that she's not thinking about what's going to happen afterwards and like you know decimating the Tarly family line in the family house without even blinking an eyelid because she doesn't put any value on you know the folks here and it, it just I don't know it just seems like they're going to really bump heads soon. What do you think, Chooch? Yeah, I could see well, and then after Christiana said that, I could see well, what if Cersei says okay. As a sign of trust, why don't you hand Tyrion over to us to uh, formalize this truce? And would she do it? <laughs> well, that would be fair because they, he's seen as a criminal. And so it would be like trying to try someone that was accused of murder because her daddy's still dead. Even if she, quote, knows that he didn't kill Joffrey, she knows that nobody else knows that except for like two or three other people. Everybody still suspects Tyrion. So she could get away with doing pretty much anything she wanted. Just mm -hmm. with the court of well, and honestly, she just blew up a sept. She's gonna do what she wants anyway. Fuck <laughs> it, right. okay, I don't know. I don't yeah, know what to expect. for me to see where where they're going with it. Well, um, other than the frustration on both sides, I see the frustration on both sides. So, um, hmm. I wonder if part of what's happening here is that you know, this jumps ahead to the end of the episode with, uh, with uh, D Danny and John, which we don't necessarily need to get into that scene, except to say that it focuses on how transformative she feels the recent events have been for right. her. So maybe the whole idea has been to try to set her up as increasingly frustrated and focused on getting Cersei off the Iron Throne and wanting to use more and more, you know, harsh tactics for that and, and getting over-focused on that so that she can now be transformed by realizing there's actually a larger threat. We really do need to focus on that first. Mm -hmm. That's a good yeah. thought. Uh, so one of the things, it seemed to me like, Danny not wanting to talk about her death is like me trying to talk about life insurance with my in-laws. Uh, they just won't discuss it, you know, and, and some people are like that and it's very frustrating. Uh, but the end goal of this scene is reminding the audience that she can't have children, mm -hmm. yeah. which comes up again later with John. And right. this, this is one of, when, when I finished a dance with dragons, I think it was a dance. It might've been a, Feast for Crows. I don't remember which one, but I remember finishing one of the books and going, what is the point of all of these people wanting the throne if no one can have children and if, right. if that's what you're going to continue this whole idea of, of a monarchy or you know, anything where you have a king or a queen, it's always, you know, if secession is by birth and family and blood, well, none of this matters because there's so many people that can't do any, can't have any children 
so that's kind of what started my whole thing. All right, I want to get rid of this whole idea of kings and queens, uh, which, by the way, I still want anarchy in Westeros, uh, or at least a <laughs> proper system of government. Um, and and I'm fine with using that uh, that that line that they just set up for the promos a few seasons back that they keep reminding us of. Uh, I don't mind breaking the wheel. Uh, I am all for that. Uh, but uh, that was that was basically what I was seeing here. And I have a note. Um, this the episode opens a little weird with just the map table. Yeah. yeah. And then it jumps yeah. up north. Yeah. Anyone understand what that was about? It looked to me like what they were doing was a close up of the map at Dragonstone and like a super close close up of where they were going. And then it, mm -hmm. it switched to them, which is where they are. So it was kind of representing where they were on the map, I believe. I, it's like a I transition. Think, I think Viv is right. Um, but yeah, I, I, it wasn't, I think because that map wasn't really like painted or labeled in that area, it mm -hmm. was kind of made it maybe harder to be really clear on that. But I, oh, I think, right. I think Viv is right that that was the idea. Well, it just seems awkward to open that way. Like if we were going from one scene to another, that would kind of work. Like if, mm -hmm. if the scene between Tyrion and Danny were happening and then we go to the map and then we go to the right. north, <laughs> but opening up that way, it just, you know, blocking wise, it seemed odd. I oh, think I agree. I, yeah. I, they may have wanted to have us a little out of, out of sync for that though, maybe. I don't know. Because it, oh, they got to editing and realized, yeah, we didn't really uh we don't really have the setting here. We don't have the Quick, scope. grab the camera. <laughs> Run in the throne room. Anybody got any of that B footage? <laughs> okay, um, I know that I know that this really applies to later, but it technically happened on Dragonstone, where they get the raven from John and Danny jumps on the dragon. That coat she has. I think we oh, all are God. living for it. Are we not all living for that coat? It's pretty they great. They better sell that through Hot Topic or something. I mean. Oh, my God. I don't <laughs> care who sells it. I just need it to happen in this world. I need to get it at a convention. <laughs> if it's as warm as it looks, I need that no. for next winter. Because you do. Because look <laughs> a hell of a lot nicer than my giant green parka. <laughs> Uh, I think generally in Westeros, all the coats must be extremely warm because nobody needs to wear hats. <laughs> True. What? I had a conversation with Tibby about that this week, and I've given up the idea that anybody has to wear hats. But then Tibby reminded me, what about the actors? <laughs> they were filming in Iceland. Only off camera. <laughs> with no hats yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, sure they get rebundled um, between takes. I think um, just uh, you know, without necessarily defending the execution of it, I like part part of what I like about the the idea of that cut though is how often how and how long it's been that when we think of what's happening north of the wall, we're we're just looking at a map, right? But then we cut to some of those actually really gorgeous landscape shots of these cliffs and little valleys that they're walking through and stuff. Mm -hmm. All right. So I'm not <laughs> defending that the shot worked as much yeah. as I'm thinking. I feel like I see what they were going for. Yeah. All right. Any other uh, Dragonstone comments? We'll move beyond the wall. Um, I did have a thought 
of these damn kids not listening to any adults at all because Danny didn't listen to Tyrion, who she chose to be her hand. <laughs> Sansa didn't listen to Brienne. It's just like these little kids get their big pants all wound up and they just think they can just do anything they want and not listen to their elders. And it's just so <laughs> predictable. Just saying. <laughs> um, I do think that if, if, you're talking about that second scene with Danny and Tyrion when he's trying to beg yep. not to go. Where she's wearing um, that coat. Peter Dinklage's acting was amazing because yeah. I really felt his emotion and hopelessness at that point. Yeah. But I feel like the show is setting him up for a fall. Yeah. yeah. Or a betrayal. He's real. I mean, he's got his heart on his sleeve. That's for sure. Yeah. I, since I had the idea, I, I maybe, you know, like I'm biased by having it being like my own thought, but uh, I can't let go now of the idea that what's going to happen is uh, that Cersei is going to have some scheme that makes it look like Tyrion plotted with them against Daenerys, even though mm -hmm. he really didn't. Yeah. And that that's going to. Like, I don't know what'll happen with Tyrion, but I feel like that might be what makes everything go to hell. Excellent, brother. You brought them into our clutches. Right. And worked all along. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have no idea what to expect with what's yeah, coming. Me, well, next me neither. Tyrion. Like, it's I, just I, crazy. No, no, no. I know. It's just, it's like the mind just goes wild. I know I'm sitting here going off on 10 other mm -hmm. thoughts now. Yeah, I just can't wait to see what they do with that. <laughs> <laughs> so our uh, first couple scenes up north are is a whole bunch of walking and talking. First we have mm -hmm. uh, Tormund, Gendry, Gendry, and John. Um, uh, Gendry talking to Beric, Thoros, and the Hound. So yeah, mm -hmm. just lots of talking. We um, have a lot of great quotes, and I need to yes. start with one of the first ones. My favorite: "Walking's good, fighting." better fucking is best <laughs> and then there's the discussion of, of there's no women <laughs> you make you sleep with bears <laughs> <laughs> seems like a little light hazing although you know it's funny because uh like since the bear thing has not really come up recently i feel like the way that line plays more especially the way he leans in it's suggesting is like it's not bears that you make do with Mm -hmm. No, no, absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's really like running. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> was he's great. I kind of. It's not so bright, is he? <laughs> <laughs> it's the fighting that's most important. Yeah. I thought Tormund was really amazing throughout the entire episode. They gave him so many great little character moments with other people, like, you know, John and, and Gendry and the conversation that, you know, Tormund just kind of breaks it down. You know, you've spent too much time with us. You don't like kneeling, and how many people had to die for Rance Mater's, Mance Raiders' <laughs> pride? <laughs> I would have said it right if I hadn't written it down wrong. <laughs> but I just think that that was like, um, I thought that was really powerful, like as yeah. far as like seeing how the wildling is like the diplomat in this group, this mm -hmm. magnificent seven or whatever. And it's just, it's really adorable to me that it's torment. <laughs> yeah. He's so insightful. He uh, is. Every scene so of him insightful. was a fight. What? <laughs> so insightful. The big blonde woman. I see the way she looks at me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to quote that entire scene. Um, 
but it was adorable uh, though. Everything he did was in this episode was so amazing, and I said, "Oh no, he's gonna die." Yeah. And then I, yeah, and it, it, it he almost I, did. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was like, I was getting really upset, and then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, something even worse happened. Yeah, <laughs> it seemed really close, though. Yeah, I felt the same way. Like, oh my gosh, we've got this because he even had the whole oogie thing with Brienne for me until this episode where he's talking about having you know big fat babies with her, and it's like, oh, you know, he's just it's that rough. guy is all. He just doesn't know how to talk to her. <laughs> he wants to have monster babies. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um. um Oh, Go ahead. I, I wanted to jump on uh, echoing something Viv said about um, Tormund specifically being the one talking to John about, um, you know, what it means to bend the knee and, you know, well, Mance Raider had his pride and what good did that do? Um, because especially during the rewatch, I was realizing how much that informs and sets up what John decides to do at the mm -hmm. end which I felt like was, so, you know, we didn't really talk about general impressions of the episode. Mm. We've already kind of talked about the parts of the episode that I did have issues with, but I felt like this episode had some amazing stuff in it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I loved all of these little early conversations, all these interesting just combinations and little exchanges little micro scenes with all these different characters. Loved all of that. The battle was amazing. We'll get more into that stuff, but just everything leading up to John's decision and how that plays out and that conversation between the two of them, I thought was amazing and personally redeemed Danny's character of this season for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so, because she offers, yeah. she also says, we will fight side by side. It's done. We're, mm -hmm. I promise you. And and there are breadcrumbs mm -hmm. in all of these different threads throughout this episode, which like Christiana, I really appreciate. Um, in my notes, I have, you know, they talk about who's from the north, who's from the south, and it all depends on your perspective. Because to Tormund, they're all southerners. Mm -hmm. But to exactly. John, Gendry is a southerner. Right. You know, and and to Gendry, they're all Northerners. Um, and also the perspective of what they've been through, uh, going back to how many had to die for Mance's pride, uh, not wanting to kneel and all of that. And, and that is playing right into what's going on. So John is thinking about all of this before he goes through the experience that really cinches the deal. But it's kind of one of those, hey, let's look at this recent history to see how things might play out for you. And I appreciate that. I, I really like that. And I think that all of those breadcrumbs really uh, come into play. And then at some point, somebody says something about John having children. And it got me to wondering, he's been raised from the dead. Can yeah. he actually have children? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, Can I mean, to, children? to jump on, to leap on to that statement, though, at, for, with the first time, okay, I don't know where we are north of the wall what conversation are we in mm -hmm. <laughs> well we kind of wandered a little uh, bit but we're still I mean, just the general conversations before yeah. the ice bear okay um yeah mm -hmm. mine is more about jorah and, and the jorah scene so i'll hold my thought yeah yeah so i mean yeah. so that was really the the content of the first big talk was uh john and jorah talking about papa mormont mm -hmm. 
Right. And John yeah. offers Longclaw back. Right. And that's when it's said that it's, um, you know, he, you know, he tried to give Longclaw back and Joris said, no, it's meant for John now and for his children after him. And at first yeah. I thought, oh, that's so sweet. He's thinking about John and Danny having baby. He's accepted. And then I thought, holy <laughs> shit, does he know that, you know, she can't have any more babies? Because that's kind of like a, a slow burn, if so. You know, like, oh, yeah, you can't have babies with her, you know? I, yeah. Do you think Jorah thought that John and Danny were going to be a couple? That didn't I didn't get that mind. at all. I assumed he was talking yeah. about John and whatever babies you might hypothetically have in the future with someone. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think Jorah doesn't give John the side eye because he has brown hair instead of purple or something. You know what I mean? I think he's jealous of what he sees between the two of them. And so... I mean, we haven't, as viewers, I haven't seen any chemistry until this episode, but I think Joros was picking up on it because he's seen her have a, have several lawyer uh, lovers. Uh, okay. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, you might be right. I'm just saying I, I didn't notice that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I don't know. I, I didn't, I got the impression that he was talking about, you know, John, having it in his family, whatever right. that is now. Yeah, I was just speculating. I was just asking yeah. if anybody else thought that might be possible really? as well. Well, I mean, mm -hmm. it's an interesting, it's an interesting question. Um, what, cause what does Jorah think about that now? Because certainly we haven't really touched back in on his romantic feelings for her. Yeah. Other than being super excited to be able to touch her. Hmm. <laughs> So, and we know that he's going to serve her no matter what. So even if she did choose to be with John, he yeah. would support it, even if it was begrudgingly. Yeah. Uh, I So in my head, uh, Daenerys is not a monogamous woman. And anyone she's with is going to have to deal with that. <laughs> and that's fine you know and 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 she'll be open about it like but a lot of that has to do with book stuff um and i it, like the whole who's going to sit on the iron throne thing i think you know figuring out oh who's going to marry danny is just like uh, whatever we could be chasing our tail all day here uh but there is definite emotion between jora and danny uh in different senses for each of them. I mm -hmm. think she sees him more of a protector father figure type. And he sees her more as like, Oh my God, I'm in love with her. I want to marry you. I want you. You're who I should have married all along. And it's a little no, uh, but um, the scene between them and the sword, uh, I thought was really interesting. And I kept thinking, don't take it, Jorah. Don't take it. You can't take it, Jorah. You just can't. And he doesn't. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but there have been some discussions about, okay, we don't see that much. We don't talk too much about the magic that is used when making a Valerian sword, but a Valerian sword is a magic sword. Mm -hmm. So D&D types and uh, any other magical fantasies, you don't just use a magic weapon. You have to attune to it. <laughs> it's, it's more than just... Um, pick it up and use it kind of a thing. And it makes you wonder, it's like, you know, did, did Jorah pick it up, hold it and go, you know, that's my dad's sword. Doesn't feel like mine. Must be yours. 
Hmm. Well, I didn't. I, I'm be. trying to remember. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Chish. No, I'm saying could be. You know, I just assumed yeah. it's it's just his honor, and he knows yeah. it's not right. He he gave up that life and has moved on. Mm. I was trying to remember what the show said about that way back when John first got it from uh, Gior Mormon, uh, in the sense of when. Jorah fled Westeros in order to avoid execution. He didn't take it with him, but I'm trying to remember if it was offered and he refused or if it was denied him. Because hmm. I feel like I recall him having the opportunity to take it with him and decline and not doing so because he knew he had disgraced the family. Um, and remember. so I vaguely feel like that was the situation that he, he could have taken it and didn't um, that that makes sense to me why he would still, not that he feels like he is still unworthy in, in precisely the same way, but so much more that he felt when he made that previous decision, that that was an irrevocable decision. It was not a hold on to me, hold on to it for me later. Um, and also, I think uh, there's a recognition just that um, John has done amazing things with it, and it he you know he has earned the right to carry it. Mm -hmm. um, I did think it was very in character for John to offer it, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it felt good. Very, very honorable, and John has uh, repeatedly tried to refuse the sword, feeling that he does not deserve it um, as a bastard because he's had to live under these these stupid yeah. rules. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 nice. You know, he keeps trying to give it up, and people are like, "Nope, you deserve it." Yeah. We have uh, one other quick conversation with Beric talking to John about Ned resurrection and the Lord of light. What does it all mean? And mm -hmm. um, John makes a little connection to the night's watch. Go ahead. Before we jump to that one. Um, I think before we had that conversation, we had the, didn't we have uh, right before that with um, Gendry and Thoros and maybe a little bit with Beric and that whole bit where mm -hmm. he, they talk about mm -hmm. the brotherhood selling Gendry and he's mad about it and he basically you know Hound calls him on uh, you know for whinging and I thought that was an interesting scene because on the one hand I feel like I don't feel like their actions are defensible and they're not even really apologizing for it right. but the Hound kind of just cuts through all that and says you guys we're on a suicide mission to capture a, a, a zombie <laughs> in an incredibly right. frozen, you know, dangerous frozen wilderness. Maybe this right. isn't the time. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sanders' wisdom was a sweet little moment there because you know they've been one of the things I liked about this episode and the and the troop of the Magnificent Seven and the red shirts, <laughs> you know, accompanying them is that. Um, they talked out, you know, again, it was just, this whole episode was taught, Art, Sansa and Arya talking and everybody talking. But I really liked the talking that the guys did because you got a lot of history from them. And part of that was, remember this happened in the flaming vat and you had the thing and the thing was that and it was amazing, you know? And so there was a lot of reminiscing and kind of revisiting on what war is like. 
and what bonding with other soldiers during war is like and how okay so you came in and you tried to kill me and wasn't that hilarious because that thing was flaming and then this happened and mm-hmm. you know, gendry's pissed off because he got sold to a witch and that sucks but come on let's go we're all fighting together now <laughs> you know we don't have exactly we don't have time for the whinging and the <laughs> fact that it was sandor and that of course he threw around the word cunt it was just glorious because <laughs> he was like the, he was like the diplomat too just sort of I did. I did see a funny meme where uh, somebody was like laying quotes on top of um, Benioff and Weiss in the after show, and it was, you know, we keep trying to tell the actor to stop saying "cunt," and you won't, so we had to write it into the script. <laughs> that was hilarious. <laughs> that was really good. Um, I do want to. I do want to talk a little bit more, um, just because I'm a total fangirl and let me enjoy this uh, about <laughs> the Hound and Tormund. Yes, you know the whole uh, Tormund thinking he's gay. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the fact that <laughs> Tormund's not. And I love that. This is one of the things I love about Tormund. That's not an insult because you're nope. mm-hmm. north of the wall. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and um, you know he calls him a dick, and he's like dick. Dick. Hawk. Oh, Dick. I like it. <laughs> it's just, the, just really a uh, funny uh, tension breaker. But uh, I, I think the things that really, really made me happy were, um, you know, he he d- is describing Brienne. You know, I've got I've got a lady waiting for me. You know, yellow hair, blue eyes, tallest woman you've ever seen. And man's like. You're not talking about Brianna Tarth, are you? Yeah. He's like, oh, I want to make babies with her. We'd conquer the world. And, you know, of course, I'm just in love with Tormund at this point. And he's like, I can't believe she'd have you. Oh, well, not yet. But you should see the way she looks at me. What, like she wants to cut you open? You do know her. You do know her. Uh, yeah, there's some great dialogue in all of those scenes. And that to <laughs> me brings me to the this wildling culture that it's a little more expressed in the books. Uh, but your grit talked a little bit about it when we had her around of the idea, and this goes to back like to like samurai culture. This idea that you know wildlings they it sounds like such a sexist culture. But really, it's it's the women that choose uh, because they talk about how well if you want a woman, you take a woman, and if you survive, then you were supposed then that means she wants you. <laughs> right. uh, and and to torment the fact that Brienne wants to eat him alive is <laughs> is the absolute turn on to him, and and yeah, it's 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 one of these things that. And again, maybe I'm just a fangirl and I'm excusing things. I don't care. Let me have this. Um, you know, <laughs> if he wanted someone and they really didn't want him, he'd realize, okay, they don't want me. I'm going to take my lumps. I'll let her cut me up and I'll leave and I'll go find a bear. Um, right. I, but, yeah. I'm with you. I am very on board with the idea of having Brienne start to loosen up a little bit and and be more open to something and i i would love to see her try on a relationship sort of thing with torment i would love that if that happens what i think the only criticism of the execution so far is that there have been too many moments of him leering at her and her reacting like she's uncomfortable i feel like 
they need the next story beat to happen mm -hmm. or to or to just drop it because I, it's starting it's starting to turn if they don't keep progressing it i i also would be totally fine if she's like yeah i really want nothing to do with you um and him just be like okay walks away to the sad hulk music you know uh but still <laughs> constantly looking at her uh, but i i think with Tormund, and again i this is a little more book stuff it is the first overt attraction and pursuing that she's really received i mean there's okay. there's twinges between her and and jamie but there's nothing overt and any other time that it's been overt it's been a trick yeah or somebody who's after her title because she doesn't have brothers mm -hmm. and uh that that is i think i think it'd be very good for brienne whether she pursues it or not for her to see that someone is genuinely interested in her for mm -hmm. all the things that she's been told make her under de desirable yeah mm -hmm. and i love that i i agree i would like to see that happen you're here amen have uh, anything on barrack and john and lord of light um, yes <laughs> Go ahead. I thought it was really, uh, it was a conversation that I think that John really needed to have on being resurrected by the LOL. And I mm -hmm. just, I really love that there was a moment where Barrett got to use that sexy voice <laughs> and get through a whole conversation that was meaningful and probably just exactly what John needed to hear what he said also without the hound walking up and shouting cunt and interrupting him. We got to hear that whole <laughs> conversation without the hound ruining it. And I just, that was the thing I think I love, you know, about that as far as like the character play. Cause I think, and that's also one of the things that made me worry about Barrick though, is because he got to have this really nice moment where he got to be kind of profound and, and stuff. And, and then, you know, then they go into battle and it's like cringing going, Oh, is this the end? You know? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I thought for sure Barrick was gonna die in that battle. Yeah. Um but the uh, he is the, the actor is obviously very charismatic. Um yeah. he's he's great to watch talk. Um and I liked the scene, but I felt like the subtext, you know, this is perhaps shaped by me re-experiencing the Dune series hmm. uh recently i've been going through the audiobooks and i'm on book two just finished book two and one of the central themes of that especially once you get into the sequels is the danger of messianic um prophecy and that sort of thing like how awful that can actually be um and it just made me think of barrack's kind of whole thing is we don't really know who the Lord of Light is or what he wants, but he seems to be against death, and death is scary, so we're going to try to do what he wants, no matter what that might be. And we have seen some of the things that get done in the Lord of Light's name because the Lord of Light seems to do real magic things without really giving very specific instructions. <laughs> it's not very clear, and so it just that's a potentially really dangerous thing, and I can't help but wonder 
what the show has in mind for whether it's going to try to pay off any of that or not. But also just, it was such a nice conversation though with Beric that, yeah, I, th I thought he was definitely going to die. <laughs> there was, there was a lot of like projected deaths here. Uh, I was, <sighs> had it been the show earlier, had it been the books, had it been another show, I think maybe one person would have gotten out alive, but um, uh, we did we did not get that. I also really like um, the Hound's interaction with the Lord of Light. He has mm. a vision. He sees the mountain. He knows this thing is real. He still does not respect the Lord of Light. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Lord of Light still a cunt. <laughs> so we've got uh into conversations and ice bear uh, zombie ice great. bear i hope it wasn't sheila <laughs> two red shirts buy it straight off yeah uh there is definitely so many so many red shirts and there was an ill-defined number of red shirts yeah. too because yeah. for example when we got to that final battle around in, in the mm -hmm. lake and there, and all of a sudden there was one more red shirt that suddenly appeared so that it could get torn apart by zombies. I was like, where did he even come from? Yeah. I thought they were all dead already. Yeah. Chuch actually was doing a count and he was like, Oh, where'd that, that literally guy came literally out of nowhere. Yeah. Aren't you glad we don't do the deaths anymore? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so I actually had in my notes, uh, so the first battle with the bear, bear killed all the red shirts. All right. Now yeah. this, we've got stakes. And then every time something dangerous was happening, there'd be another red shirt. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. taking me out of the scene and it was really frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to keep your vision fuzzy at the edges. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at the clock. Don't look at maps. Don't worry your pretty little head. Just blur your eyes a little bit. <laughs> yeah. It was um, the fact that Thoros got mauled and then survived at least that scene. I I wasn't sure how I felt about that just because it felt again like, oh, are we going to have another episode where all of these n notable characters are put in extreme circumstances and then miraculously survive? I thought that might be the case um, when he survived that. Um, but at the same time, you know, the payoff to that, of course, later, given Thoros's kind of whole thing, like his whole arc for him to die of hypothermia is kind of poetic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, the but the ice bear was cool. <laughs> yeah. And the ice big bear was very is, cool looking. Zombie ice bear getting lit up on fire and then Sandor just totally seizing up. But it's charging down at him and I can't blame him one bit. All right. I just wish that we wouldn't refer to him as ice bear because that's kind of freaking me out with we bear bears. Zombie it's ice bear. not the same. It's not the same. So uh, the other thing <laughs> we is... We can call him um, white bear. There you go. The white bear. All right. Because uh, he was white. Ah. Uh, so um, when they spark their swords... And they've both got the t flaming swords going. Yeah. Oh my god, that was so cool. And then I'm watching it. I'm thinking, so you got a flaming sword now? What do you do? Sticks it in the snow. Oh, okay, that's what you do. 
<laughs> if you cauterize a wound. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, that, that that was hardcore. That really was. Um, I I love that as a book reader and and caring so much about the Brotherhood and you know sword of the morning is that what he was called and uh, you know the flaming sword that's all anyone ever talks about kind of a thing that was awesome mm -hmm. <laughs> it's also an um, effective surgery tool for cauterizing yeah. test wounds yeah um i uh i saw an interview with the actor who plays barrack and he said that the uh flaming swords were a practical uh effect he they was literally it. holding a sword that was really on fire was not a, now that said he's he said it was not like a regular sword prop yeah. that they put something on so that it would flame it was like mm -hmm. a special thing so it was he said it was heavier and so it was a little bit harder to do normal sword motions but he did say it was very cool to be swinging a real fiery sword around <laughs> yeah. acting he, goals he couldn't, he couldn't swing yeah. it too fast or it would go out <laughs> <laughs> and you don't think about those kinds of things <laughs> Next I thought up, that, uh, hmm, I, and this isn't just that specific scene but like as an overall i think i finally realized one of the things that's been kind of bugging me about this season and it's really kind of big time going on during the cauterizing scene which is that lots of looking at this actor you know this character looking at this character and raising an eye or making some symbol or making a you know a gesture after they get saved or something in battle and it's like it's so very high theater. It's like you have, it's almost like they're on stage and they're performing to the back row kind of a thing. But it seems also like that's the only way that they can convey those big changes in relationships. Like, you know, well, between any of them so far or any that come later, but like, you know, even the, the, uh, the hound and Tormund later on, you know, it's like, you know, there's just like these little signals that they give and they seem kind of soap opera. They're so dramatic but I've decided to look at them as high theater and that they have a huge stage and they're just breaking it down for us real easy because you kind of have to do that when you're doing it in a visual medium as opposed mm -hmm. to a book where you can say, and Thoros thought that was really damn fun, you know, or whatever. You're just <laughs> literally going by the looks on their faces. So it bugged me this whole season because it felt like it was getting more frequent with the pace that was picking up but I've come to terms with it. <laughs> but how do you guys feel? Did you feel like it was on really thick this episode with that kind of interplay? I didn't notice that specifically, although that really falls in line with something that we've been talking about all season, which is just that the show has kind of decided to exchange any semblance of like realism or plausibility in exchange for spectacle. And so yeah. the idea that the the emphasis of the show is much more on creating these key moments where it, I, I think I actually quoted this article that was about um, superhero movies, but uh, just the idea of instead of writing scenes, you're writing moments. Like mm -hmm. instead of saying, here's what needs to happen in this scene and here's where the characters start and here's the conversation they have and how they're feeling about it and what happens in the scene. And instead it's more about like, how can we write a scene that will get us to the moment where Tormund almost dies and the hound gets to save him. And then, so they work backwards from wanting to have that moment instead of figuring out it organically, what develops from the starting point. 
But so the idea that they would build these very, you know, big visual dramatic moments into it, it's definitely along that same line. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so, uh, what's up next? We've got... Okay, so, yeah, so there's a little more talking Jorah and Thoros talking about I old love that. Mm -hmm. That, to me, was perfect. I have a question for you. How drunk were you at Pike? <laughs> Truthfully, I don't remember it. People tell me about it. That, to me, was such pure and pure soldier response. Mm -hmm. You know? It's yeah, people aren't really brave. They're just drunk or stupid or whatever when they do these great things. Like there's when somebody writes a song about a great act, it's never what the song said it was. Mm -hmm. It's more along the lines of, yeah, I was totally drunk. I have no idea what I did then. But people tell me I was good. <laughs> Loved it. But you were the bravest fighter in Lazarus. <laughs> just the drunkest. Yeah. So we come up again, uh, come up upon a small group of whites and ambush them. Mm -hmm. Get some more fighty fight. Although I think in hindsight, it seems really obvious to me that this was a trap. Yes. Mm. 100%. Um, in particular, um, now, I don't know that the trap specifically involved a plan where one of the White Walkers would actually get killed necessarily, but certainly to lure them into that area. But also just, it seems fishy that they kill the one White Walker and all but one mm -hmm. of the Whites drop. No, that was some straight-up bullshit. <laughs> well, see, that no, I I agree with you, except that I I wonder if that's because that was the idea. Like it was mm -hmm. a trap. It was a plan to like give them something that would let them stick around longer and deal with that one and have to carry it and potentially slow them down and while they get surrounded by the rest. Okay, so before we send, let's let's let me just ask a question and I think it'll save a lot of, of time. How many of us think that the Night King planned this shiz pretty well and executed it pretty much as he planned? I think he did. Hundred percent. I think I even believe, I think the, it was the full intention of getting a dragon. Yeah. I don't know why he would have any inkling that a dragon would come because these people were trapped. But it felt like the entire thing was a plan. Yeah. Well, this this gets into... Um, oh, yeah, weird stuff. Some, some of the weird theories, too, without necessarily getting into the one big uh, theory, which, like, since it's just speculation, I mean, do we want to avoid it? I think we should avoid it for now with the finale okay, coming up. Fair, that's just my thought. So, we, maybe we can talk about it after after the season finale airs. Yeah. So that that's fine. But um, a, a more limited uh, just piece without getting into that uh, piece of it is the idea that he might have some sort of a prescience or vision similar to the way Bran does. Mm -hmm. Um, they have this, their own version being able to see, yeah, they have something like that right. because, for example, we saw first of all in past seasons 
the Night King being able to grab Bran through the vision, mm-hmm. and then this season being able to force the ravens away, right? So he's he's got something. He's got some there. sense, yeah. And so I I suspect that that it it seems entirely plausible to me that this was a trap, and I don't know that he necessarily knew that he'd get a dragon out of it as much as it was some of my enemies are yeah. coming here. We're going to surround them. And- mm-hmm. Right. But ultimately, I mean, that's totally unnecessary with how many people there are, even including the red shirts versus that army. Mm-hmm. And they were fucking spry. Cause so the yeah. army poured into that lake and mm-hmm. they ran faster than everybody else to specifically cut them off and surround them. They weren't yeah. in there waiting. Mm-hmm. It wasn't yeah. an ambush. Well, they didn't come over the mountain. They ran around the lake. And yeah, they did that on purpose. They encircled them. That was some serious strategy. So uh, I'm going to have a dissenting opinion here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure that it was laid as a trap right from the get-go. Um, I don't think that they that the Night King sent in a group that was all made by one guy except for one. I don't think that the Night King would have ever had an idea that anyone would try to take one of the, the whites or others. I can, oh, I, they're whites. Others are the, is the King. Sorry. Uh, take it to, to King's Landing because that's a really stupid idea, by the way. Um, let's, <laughs> let's bring this highly infectious thing to King's Landing. Uh, there's, there's all of this stuff that I, I just don't see connecting, but I do think that the secondary battle was definitely uh, definitely planned. I think that that first group was a scouting party and that there is some kind of a hive mind going on, as we've learned. Like when that one started screaming, suddenly all the others came forward. Uh, there's definitely a hive mind thing. I think it's interesting that we learned you kill the one that the other and you kill all the whites that the other made. That's really cool. Uh, although Mike McCauley says that he thinks it's straight up bullshit that they quickly came to the conclusion that that's, that's what happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but, on, uh, vampire rules. Yeah. Vampire yeah. rules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it, whatever. Uh, it, it was cool. Um, and yeah. I, I liked seeing it. Uh, but I do agree that I think there was definitely some strong tactics going on with the encircling. I don't know how much of the Night King and the other's powers are and how much he could tell, like, could he have tell, figured out, hey, that's a Targaryen over there. There'll right. be dragons coming. Because we do know that the Night King has been around since the last time there were dragons and they fought dragons before so i could think and they started moving around the same time that magic started returning to the world which made Mm -hmm. it possible for dragons to come back so it seems to me that eventually dragons show up and maybe they've never gotten this close to the wall before without dragons showing up (laughs) you know uh i just i here's one thing that occurs to me though is we just had you know, an episode where they showed us the scorpion, which was built to bring down a dragon. Yep. And it failed. Yep. 
but we see this dude pick up a, an ice spear that he just so happens to have with them and he's able to throw it and bring down a dragon. And I just think that they've made it kind of obvious that you wouldn't just be wandering around with a dragon attacking spear if you didn't think you were gonna be coming across a dragon. Right. It's like well, a specific weapon. I mean, sure, you would use it for other things, but let's be honest, that's a pretty, that's more than you'd need for your average human. I. I agree 100%, and I think that that is one of a couple of pieces of interesting uh, information that suggests to me that it was all a trap, and I, I don't know how much of it was intended and how much of it was just hopeful, Right. but but for example, I agree with you that those spears seem like, yep, those are for if dragons show up, um, but at the same time, there is a website that suggests that when we saw Bran's vision in a previous episode where he spied on the Night King, suggests that where we saw the Night King standing in that vision is the island where John holds up mm. in, in this battle. Now, I looked at the screenshots and it's not obvious to me that it's the same place. It is similar though. Wait, say uh, that again. Pretty much Repeat all that? of the north is no, similar. The place where John and his whole party, that little island, you know, island in the middle of this frozen lake, right. right? Where where they hold out? Yeah. In the earlier episode when Bran spies on the Night King, that's where the Night King was. Whoa. Uh, and we, according we to this say, theory, we did say at the time, we don't know that that's now, that could be the future. And right. as you were saying, he is able to have visions. And Mike McCauley saying in the chat, he just so happened to have three of those dragon killing spears. Hmm. Well, so I don't know that it means that Bran's vision was the future. I, I think what it could mean is that the Night King had scouted out that location with the intent of stranding the party there mm -hmm. so that they would need to be rescued by a dragon. Mm -hmm. so that a dragon would come. There's mm -hmm. no other hope for it. <laughs> um, now, obviously, uh, I mean, I think, you know, really trying to tease out the specific logistics of it, I, I, yeah. I don't know that the show would actually support that. But to me, it seems entirely plausible that this whole thing, they, they basically fell right into the Night King's yeah. trap. And the only real thing that they've gotten out of it at all is that Daenerys is now... Uh, well, the two things that we've gotten out of it, which we should not dis, you know, discount. Uh, under discount, is Danny being a hundred percent on board and persuaded now, yeah. and John willing to say, "Okay, yes, I, I'll, you know, I am convinced of your greatness, and I'm willing to uh, call you my queen." Like, right. I mean, like that's that is a substantial uh, blocking point that they were unable to get past before. Now, is it worth losing a dragon to the Night King? Yeah, Man, well, <laughs> but uh, but what at the do? same time, yeah. But uh, I, you know, at the same time, I don't think anyone thinks that Cersei's going to take a look at this white and say, "Oh, okay, see, yeah, oh, I'm, yeah, yeah. yeah, I was no missed before, but now, yeah." Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, yeah. No oh, but what, one last piece, though, um, in terms of supporting that it was a trap. Uh, uh, sorry, I, this is mm -hmm. long, but the l last piece is there's the whole bit that was kind of nicely, it's kind of fun with the hound board throwing the rock, and then the second rock skids across the ice and kind of shows them. 
that uh, they can walk across it. But here's the thing. These whites might well be dumb enough to not realize they could walk across it and not notice that the ice was solid enough until they see the rock. But the rest of the white walkers are right there yeah. and they're mm -hmm. definitely smart enough. Yeah. So that they sounds to me like they were waiting. Yep. They, they were yeah. bait. Yep. Totally. Yeah. John and yep. the others were bait for the dragons to come. I agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. For me, the, it, it makes the whole scene have weight that up until now we've seen brain dead zombie savage things. Mm -hmm. And this showed forethought strategy planning. Yeah. Uh, to me, it's a totally different game mm -hmm. now that the stakes against them are totally different because we're definitely not just, it's not a just shambling horde. Right. For sure. It's not some urge that they don't understand. You know, mm -hmm. they've yeah. got that. They've got the, it's the, it's the big fear. You know, you've got the slow moving, big thinking zombies, but you've also got the high speed mass number of shambling, like running at full speed instinctive, but yeah, following a hive mind kind of a thing. So you've got both aspects of the undead that we usually see in, in fiction that, that are present. And that's what pisses me off is like, give me one or the other, not both. Mm -hmm. So they're frozen Borg. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm more interested in them as enemies now. Yeah. I, yeah, me too. Um, and it's interesting that they gave us the very video gaming mechanic of, well, it turns out if you kill the white Walker that turned them, that makes the whites that it turned, uh, you know, just disintegrate, which at the same time that it feels a little video gamey, you know, oh, gotta kill or cartoony, like gotta kill the head vampire and that sort of thing. But at the same time that it's a slightly goofy mechanic, I it it feels vaguely plausible within the within the realm of there being zombies in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, but also it gives justification for making a plan and a strategy instead of just saying, well, we just have to defend against thousands and thousands of these things. It's there will be potentially more proactive. It makes it more personal that the goal becomes to go after the night King specifically instead mm -hmm. of just saying, we're going to hold out because if you can take out the night King, then the rest takes care of itself is the idea. Yeah. I do think that, uh, unfortunately, due to the fact that Edward Herman has passed, that we've missed an opportunity uh, of having like a really cool head vampire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but um, I, at the same time, it, it's also it it it, it turns or it risks turning them these all these whites into kind of what's become sort of an action trope now. I mean, like think of like age of Ultron, you know, he had all of the little, mm -hmm. like all the little mini me clone soldiers that were just, you know, disposable, uh, you know, bad guys so that the Avengers could fight tons and tons of them. Right. And then, you, right. know, you know, you got the one real one and anyway, it's, it's going to be fine, but I agree that I think the, the strategy on display here, not to mention um, the, the actual loss of a dragon, which just really felt 
so we've talked in earlier episodes about the show pulling a punch and not, you know, like really feeling like there's a wait for a character to die and then it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Well, in this one, there was a couple of characters that I thought were going to die that didn't. Um, and I feel honestly like it could have killed a couple more of them. Like, for example, mm-hmm. like I'm glad Tormund is still around because he's got that unfinished business with Brienne that I feel like they want they have to deal with. Um, but like Beric and Jorah, I feel like we could have had, we could have said goodbye to this, them in this episode and it would have felt like they completed an arc. Um, but to, to lose a drag, like I did not predict the idea that we would get dragons versus white walkers this early. I thought that was going to be an end game, end game thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, actually the thought crossed my mind when the dragons first showed up is like, could we have been somehow fooled all along that we always thought that it was going to be dealing with the iron throne first. And then the fight against the frozen zombies. What if they actually reverse it and they deal with one sooner than that. And it's only after that, that we deal with the rest, but no, (laughs) Um, but yeah, just, for example, one of the things that uh, just makes the whole situation feel extra real is just the idea that, you know, one of the fun fan theories was the idea of the three dragon riders, right? Well, yep. how's that going to work now? <laughs> uh, I, when, when the dragon went down, all I think, like, first off, I was horrified. Absolutely horrified. You all know me and my dragons. Um, but as it's going down, the first thing I thought is, well, now they have a dragon. Because it's not just that we lost a dragon. Right. They have a dragon. Anything that dies north of the wall that hasn't been burned, which is why they burn Thoros, and they didn't just turn him. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, although I do feel like the whole with the chain scene was kind of like an after credit scene. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Turn the show off. Um a couple of things that I have. Uh so one of the things, one of my notes, and we did discuss it a bit in the chat, but I do want to bring it up on the, the show is <coughs> I feel like there should have been a lot more dragon glass. I feel like everybody should have had dragon glass, but as it is pointed out to me, there was actually more dragon glass than I realized. I saw that Tormund had some on a stick. Mm-hmm. Um, I am told that Jorah had dragon glass and we know the hound did because when he saved torment. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the hound was alternating between some dragon glass daggers and using Gendry's hammer, which hammer, you know. out of nowhere, he told Gendry, you'll run faster without it. So yoink. Yeah. Which I thought was like, Oh, Gendry's going to die now. Yep. Like so many people, it's like, oh, they're going to die. They're going to die. So they've said as we were um, watching it, oh, there, yeah, he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, here's the thing, though. There was a big theory online when the trailer for the, for um, for Beyond the Wall aired. Immediately, people, of course, went, you know, screen by screen by screen. And they they there was an outcry about, oh, my God, Gendry dies. Gendry dies because the hound is, or not the hound, Tormund is using the hammer 
Right. So as soon as he says, give it to me, you'll run faster. I was like, oh, thank God. I just immediately, <laughs> like, as soon as that happened, for some reason, I felt like Gendry was going to be okay because they explained why Tormund had his goddamn axe. And they everybody scared me for no reason. Thanks, Internet. <laughs> See, that's why spoilers can be dangerous. I know. Uh, yeah. So we lose Thoros, which, by the way, was the first you're like, all right, he's dead. Oh no, he's yeah. not dead. All right, so he's kicking, and then and then okay, yes, now he's dead. He's really dead. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just it thought, was. Oh, sorry, I, I didn't mean to. Yeah. Go I was just gonna say, I just thought, okay, Barrick, you're on your last guy. This is the last one. You're at zero. No more, <laughs> no more lives. No more mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. No more. Um, lives. I was just gonna point out that uh, that what that means too is that that little conversation with Jorah and Thoros about you know, bravery and just being drunk and like that whole thing. That was basically Thoros's grace note, you know, like yeah. that's, you know, that was, that was his last bit. Yep. So cool. The I, last and thing he pretty, said is bravery is drunkenness. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jorah knew that he's got that kindness to him that, that, you know, as much as he'd shamed his home, his house and all that stuff, he's got that, that, that soldier's nobility, you know, that honor among soldiers kind of a thing that's, or maybe not soldiers, but, you know, fellow armsmen, whoever he's fighting with. And it's really nice. Mm -hmm. Little, little pieces. Um, you mentioned, yeah, they, uh, oh, oh, Sandor kicks the captured white and the army seems to get antsy. So mm -hmm. there is a connection there. Yeah. Um, and they uh, bury the body. And uh, Sandor shows he's proficient with all martial weapons. <laughs> he did Literally look all. Of that hammer. Yeah. That is Sandor. <laughs> and I did find it interesting, like when um, Tormund almost bought it, that the whites that had fallen in just kind of jump out and grab him. Mm -hmm. like yeah, they have no problem with the water. Suddenly, they don't just sink immediately to the ocean like when they were on the other side of that crack and a bunch of them fell yeah. and just disappeared. That, again, I think plays to the whole Night King strategy. Yeah, well, I, I think there's also it, that that one little bit is probably an element, too, of, well, we want it to look scary. We want it to look like Tormund's really going to die mm -hmm. so we want to make that moment look as scary as possible and one can argue that that hole is closer to the island true mm -hmm. so it's more shallow um after tormund was rescued uh i wrote there are almost no stakes anymore and i stopped writing <laughs> until just the very end <laughs> i was I, kind of yeah yeah it's a little disappointing not that i want to see him die but i don't want to see tormund die i just i it, yeah. It feel like Kathy Bates in misery. <laughs> you know, you're not respecting the story. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it did it did feel at that moment when like I didn't want Tormund to die, but like I said, because there was a couple of characters that I feel like it's not so much that I wish death on the character as much as I feel like they've kind of completed their run i don't know what more mm -hmm. story we have to tell with Beric. say now that he's kind of passed on his philosophy and his discussion of being brought back from the dead discussing having that conversation with john i don't know where you go from there with that mm -hmm. character but at the same time um 
you know, that doesn't mean you have to kill him. But when they when they threatened it with Tormund, who I definitely was invested in wanting him to survive, and then pulled back, I again felt like, oh, this is going to be the uh, the the Jamie and Braun all over again. Is that nobody's going to, you know, we lost Thoros, who's like I think of anybody was the one that was easiest to lose. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a bad thing against Thoros. Right. It's just what connection does he have that Beric doesn't also have? Right. Yeah. In theory, it ups yeah. the stakes for everybody else because he can't bring anybody back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that part of it is just them trying to prove to us that they will do whatever they want. You think a character's not going to die? We're going to kill him. You think a character's going to die? We're going to keep him alive. You know, just to kind of keep us guessing until that last episode. There's some discussion in the chat about whether or not um, the whites follow zombie rules in terms of bites and scratches. And I think the Mm -hmm. consensus is that no, um, it's unrelated. It's not contagious. It's just that if you're dead, you can be brought back otherwise. And they try to kill you, but there's not like a contagion element. Yeah. That's my understanding. Yeah. So the uh, dragon saved the day. We get that little slow-mo Help, hopeless battle mm-hmm. pose. Yeah. And the dragons just come in and start flaying everything. Pretty awesome. And I loved how um, when Danny lands and Sandor sticks the captured white on a yeah. dragon spike that was <laughs> to awesome. hold it there. There's this squish sound effect and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the Night King just calmly grabs a spear and mm-hmm. takes down a dragon like you do. Yeah. Uh, I hear was Canada's trying to recruit him for the next Winter Games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Was that Viserion? Um, the one that died, yeah, was Viserion. Um, I I think in the close uh, the the close captions, um, someone yells like Danny. I think yells out his name at some point. That's not super audible, mm. but it's in the, clo- the captioning. I think. I, I I feel like I heard someone say that. I didn't notice it. So I, I guess I'm just secondhand yeah. reporting. But um, <laughs> I want to just take a moment, though, because we haven't really gotten to it and, and say that but I was more negative on this episode in my first viewing because I was kind of more hung up on the parts that I didn't like and it diminished my enjoyment of the rest. But watching it the second time, I feel like I really have to applaud the show that even while I've criticized the direction of moving more towards spectacle and less away, less from like grounded character based storytelling. When they do the spectacle though, it's sure <laughs> spectacular yeah. um, because the whole, just the execution of this whole fight scene, like even if we can certainly make, you know, easy to make, logistical complaints about like, how does that make sense? But just in visually in the moment to moment action and just the, the look when it looks like all is lost, but then fire and the dragon comes in and Danny in her coat looking swarming over there and blasting it to all the, like, I mean, obviously it's, you know, it's just special effects at that point, but it's good. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. that was, that was good stuff. I was, I was on board. Mm Mm-hmm. Satisfying stuff. Mm-hmm. And and Absolutely. then, then when Viserion falls, like that's a heartbreaking moment. Like it's, yeah. and I think the show really sells it well. It looks painful, 
-hmm. there's blood and fire and it's crashing through the ice and it's like oh my god it was awful they've noticed notice, you know, like his fire goes out he gets hit the fire yeah. goes out and he just not only goes down but just then buried in the water you know mm -hmm. yeah. that was, it was powerful it was rough <clears throat> and then john's tackled into the water and sinks down for the only reason I can think of is because Danny needs to see him with his shirt off. <laughs> I think well, so. And we need to wounds. say goodbye to Benjamin. I, with his I, shirt off so that she sees that the scar and now yeah. knows for yeah. sure that it's not just a figure of speech. Yeah. And mm -hmm. also for hotness. Right. right. That's quite the chest. Um, but yeah, that it seems pretty unnecessary. Yeah, the whole oh, bit of like, having to leave him. Well, but the whole bit of having to leave him behind because <laughs> we think that he's underwater, and then hi, Uncle Benjamin. Bye, Uncle Benjamin. Yeah, that part felt sort of tacked on and rushed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but boy, everything up to that moment, like everything while the dragons were still there, and all of that sort of thing, and the tension of that, just that. Well, especially because. John not being able to ride away from the rest of them felt contrived because mm -hmm. there's this moment where he's going farther and farther away to take on individual whites and everyone, right. I can imagine everyone on the dragon going, what are you doing? Yeah. Leave that guy. Come on. I think he was hoping that it was going to be his, like a suicide run and well, yeah, it just didn't like, work out that way. It never seems to work out that way for John. Well, I think, yeah, the idea was that he is trying to make sure that the rest can get on board safely, but in practice, it feels like they're forcing him mm -hmm. being too far away. Um, um, I but, feel like it's, I feel like it's a very John thing to do. He just watched one of her children because that's, you know, she's, that's been very, made very clear that they, she really does consider those to be like human children. He just watched one of them die because he asked for her help. I think it's totally John-like to try and lead, you know, like to try and go at him and, you know, get away and it didn't work and it was bound to fail because it's freaking army of dead guys for God's sake. But I mean, you know, I thought it was very John impulsive, rash, just exactly. And I think it, it was to his credence because his instincts are one of the things that make Danny trust him because he saw the sacrifice of her child. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Paulette just in chat uh, says, I like the one meme where Jorah tells John to get on the dragon and John goes, I just need eight more kills for a quest. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. I was laughing at that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, that, you know, logistical quibbles uh, and, and plot goofiness aside, just the spectacle of this battle was really something. And, um, and I really felt the emotion of the loss of the dragon, especially Agreed. watching it the second time. And, you know, for all the uh, times I've, you know, and, and we have, you know, have been critical of some of the things that the show is not doing as well, uh, especially this season, I feel like it's incumbent upon me to, also give it credit when it does something good mm -hmm. which it sure did in that battle i think yeah it was a beautiful looking battle it was very exciting um and you really felt the emotion with the dragon um i i it's frustrating when you know you're like danny get the hell out of there now <laughs> um but uh yeah like the the whole battle um other than losing all stakes completely 
uh, I just sat back and I enjoyed it. Um, it's the the after stuff um, that's uh, I have to hand wave a lot of things like you know John getting out of that lake and not getting hypothermia and nobody yeah. gets frostbite being on the wall except for cold hands and, and all so it's right up. there. But there is something about getting out of the lake that I think is important to talk about. I didn't catch it, but I did go back and check it out when it was posted how when John gets out of the water, we're focused in, zoomed in on long call. The eyes open when he comes out. Now, I think I, that's just an artifact. I'm... I am curious about this because the only thing I saw related to this was someone saying that wasn't true. I didn't yeah. check it out myself. I've seen okay. I've seen a whole storm of people saying it is true. I we watched the episode for that and I backed it up and told Chooch about the controversy. And it honestly, because later on when he's wielding it, it kind of glints. And I don't think that he's blinking. I think it's just a reflection on the jewels that are in the eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But that's just yeah. me so far. It, it absolutely looks like they open. Absolutely. But I think it's just an artifact of the filming or the lighting. Yeah. The theories uh out there. Uh, or at least one of the ones that I've read is that Bran wargs into the sword. I don't buy that at all. I don't think you can warg into a sword. Mm. But not even Valerian steel. Not even Valerian steel. But I do think that it it kind of goes into the whole. Well, this is a magical sword yeah. thing. I think it's more than likely that the show put it in there, just as like a. Huh? Did you catch that? Uh, but um, not that it's a huge plot point. Mike McCauley says in chat, I read an article where HBO denied that theory. Good. <laughs> um, right. But my, I, yeah. Yeah. My um, take on it. Sorry. I, I'm sorry. I keep. No, cutting that's it. fine. Okay. My, my take was just that, like, I wouldn't be opposed if they wanted to do something weird and mystical with the sword. Like, I could be on board with that. But I feel like if they're going to do that, you have to be clear about it. Yeah, it mm -hmm. shouldn't be something that like, oh, did you notice this one tiny little detail in the scene and you have to go back and flip and that's like the clue. No. I feel like unless it's a breadcrumb in the next episode, they make yeah. something overt. I just don't. I think it's now, just an accident. <laughs> what does sound what does seem more plausible to me is the idea that Benjen knew where to find John because Bran was watching and told him somehow. That was that was the next thing I was going to bring up. Yeah. OK, like, yeah. Yeah, well, because um, it was brought up in the chat, just that, uh, that there were a lot of ravens around. Bran has been keeping an eye on things. And we know that Cold Hands has helped Bran in the past. Mm -hmm. And and he ser said, I serve the three-eyed raven. So now that means he serves Bran. Mm -hmm. So uh, Served. Yeah, he, he, yeah. <laughs> very briefly from our POV, very briefly. Well, from what we saw, but he's, he's been missing. For, he was missing for five seasons. So, uh, yeah, there's, there's, uh, yeah. So there's a link from Mike McCauley in the chat from the sun. And it, it, it says that it is not magic. It did not come to life. None of that stuff. Um, <laughs> I thought that it was, if it was anything, it was definitely a show thing because in the books, the eye is a ruby and that's ruby is not going to blink. And I'm not <laughs> sure how the magic could be in the uh, pommel 
instead mm-hmm. of the actual steel. But I thought, ah, if it's something, if it's breadcrumbs, then it's it would lead more to the whole idea of attunement. Um, something to look for. I feel like if it's a magical aspect, kind of like how Sting glowed blue whenever there were orcs around or goblins around or whatever, I think that I I think we're all kind of agreeing that they would have introduced that earlier on. Mm -hmm. If Valerian Steel glowed, they would have shown us the first time (laughs) John fought one at Castle Black. Mm -hmm. Wait, did he use Longclaw then? Was that what he Uh, used? He didn't get Longclaw until. did he get it before they? That well, I don't know. Right. Yes. He might have grabbed it and used it, even if it hadn't been gifted to him yet. But that's what I'm trying to remember. We we no, started a rewatch of season one. He got it before they went on their first ranging. I guess that that I guess you're you're right. But I'm just remembering back. That seems way early. Like I I'm trying to remember what John could have even done in that time that would have impressed Gior enough he to do that. Gior, he saved Gior. Oh right, life. that was. When that's he saved him from the one yeah. white. Yeah, okay. Exactly. And, and yeah, that's how that's he burned his hand. And, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember that now. That makes sense. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think, I think the show world already has enough different kinds of loosey-goosey magic that we don't need to be adding right. um, <laughs> animated sword hilts at this point. But yeah. You know, you know, at the same time, you know, if they want to do it, I guess what I would ask of the show's producers is if you want to have John's sword wake up and be magically animated in some way, do not be subtle about it. Just, just make it really obvious that that's what's happening because uh, we don't, we don't need, (laughs) it's already so easy with this show to come up with all of these really um, bizarre theories that, you know, explains little inconsistencies and that sort of thing. Now that said, you know, the, the, the theory that we kind of decided to not get any more into, although it's kind of bonkers and I don't really think it's true. I was actually fairly impressed that I think it had more possible justification for it than most of the bonkers theories I've heard. <laughs> okay. So, so the, the Night King heads to Home Depot for big ass chains and haul the dragon out of the well, water. Before that, can we uh, go back to Benjamin yeah. just a little bit? Sure. Uh, so, correct me if I'm wrong, and I might be really badly remembering. But when we saw Cold Hands before, we didn't know it was Benjamin, right? I think we did. Yeah, we did. I was, yeah. Um, we in the show, we did. Yeah. It's, it's been never been confirmed in the books, but well, when we did. Yeah, it has been confirmed, not in the book specifically, but by Martin himself, that Benjen is not cold hands in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been said. And mm. the uh, showrunners also said it. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know in the books it's not him, but we're combining the characters. But yeah, um, the the actor did play him in the previous season when okay. we saw him. So yep. I, I couldn't remember. It It gets to the point where you're just like, yeah. How much do, is my memory books, shows, or theories? <laughs> I I had the same uh, issue actually because my I I had forgotten about the previous appearance during mm-hmm. my first viewing, and so I was thinking when Benjamin showed up that it, you know not only was it John's first time seeing yeah. him. 
but I was thinking that it was maybe our first confirmation and I'm saying, whoa, that was a long, slow burn. It was only <laughs> later that I remembered, oh, wait, right. No, he, we also saw him with Brand. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to reiterate uh, my disappointment in their lack of including cold hands for so long. They really could have. And I think it would have helped the story uh, if we had cold hands before Bran got to the Three-Eyed Raven. Um, if we had any idea. I mean, we did get an info dump last season where uh, he explains why he's not like anyone else. Um, you know, that the children put the dragon glass in him and stopped the transformation and he can't go south of the wall and all this other nonsense. It just, I don't know. It feels cheap to me. Yeah. Hmm. And that's it. And well, and, yeah. yeah. What feels cheap to me too in this episode is also just that they have him be Benjamin X Machina. Um, <laughs> yeah. To show up at the last minute and then immediately be killed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Maybe. What, now, what that. What that made it feel like to me is more is, is less a matter of I feel like they're trying to, to cross off uh, you know items from the list. You know what I mean? They're kind of trying to tangle untangle loose threads. When we last saw Cold Hands, we didn't know where he was going or what he was gonna do. Is he still out there somewhere? Obviously it turns out he was. But I think that they were looking in this episode to say, hey, we can lo- use him to save John at the last second and then deal with him so he will not still be out there mm-hmm. in a way that needs to be resolved. I will say mm-hmm. this, that when we did our rewatch, um, I you know, I remembered everything happening. And then it was like, suddenly, wait a minute, how does John get away? Because he's under the water and then he's out. And I'm like, literally perplexed trying to remember and then in comes benjen and i'm like oh that's why i don't remember because it's total crazy bullshit right <laughs> 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 on got it okay boom benjen's here let's go oh benjen's dead bye benjen but i yeah. do love his scenes because he's someone that is so revered by the stark family and mm-hmm. always get this little tantalizing of oh we get benjen no 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 and now we get benjen that last one last salty time you know it's just like yeah. ah and John has to hear again about that, you know, no time to explain bullshit like he got from his dad before oh, he. By the way, I'll tell you about your mother when I'm done with these whites. Yeah, right. And he's like, Uncle Benjamin, how? No time. Psh, explosion. It's just, I feel so. <laughs> it's like anytime someone yeah. finishes a sentence for John, I think in his head, he just cheers. Yay. Just a little bit, you know? Uh, I, in my second viewing, I was thinking um, at that moment, it's like, no, you have to leave right now or else Daenerys will turn away um, and leave before you can ride up with your horse at Eastwatch. <laughs> right. Because that, that's yeah. how that, that plays out there is yeah. that she's right. watching and waiting. It's time to go, you're, you're my queen, your grace. And, uh, and she's like, no, just a bit longer, a bit longer. Okay, I guess he's not coming. She literally turns away and that's when the horn blows. And it's like, Okay. Yeah. So if he doesn't leave on the horse right away, yeah, she'll she'll get farther. She won't hear the horn and just ruin everything. Right. Yeah. Because they really care about timing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Brand, Brand is a big shipper. Okay. Do what? Yeah, and so when 
<laughs> I said, I said, Bran's a big shipper. I mean, if we're going to go with the idea that Bran's the one that sent him and is giving him in, his instructions, and that's why he knows he has to get there in time, mm -hmm. you know, you know what? It'd be really nice for John to be able to talk to you or anything, but no, no, no. I need him to hook up with Danny. <laughs> exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. So when I saw Danny taking her kind of one last look beyond the wall, my assumption was she was mourning the dragon until I heard the horn John's running up. And then I realized, oh, she was waiting for John, I guess. Okay. I think she was waiting for anything. I think she was, I think she knew that, you know, they were both lost. She saw them both sink under the water, but I think she was just waiting to see if anything came back because, mm -hmm. you know, she came all this way to save the King of the North slash John, her future, you know, guy allegedly. But um, I mean, I think it was just that wish of anything, any sign of life, so that this, mm -hmm. so that this trip was not a total waste. Yes, they got the white and the body, and they've got that, and they can take it north with them. Great, that was mm -hmm. the goal, or south with them, but that was the goal. But she lost Viserion, and to also lose John, I think, was too much. So, I'm not sure if she was which one she was waiting for. I think she was just hoping someone would come back. I I agree with Viv. Mm. Um, on on top of that, before Benjamin actually showed up and rescued John, when it was looking pretty dire in the sense of like, okay, how does John get out of this one? Because this seems pretty rough right now. Um, I was actually thinking to myself, um, Danny's in a tight spot because they didn't really like how is she going to explain that John apparently died on whatever this mission is. Mm -hmm. Like, what's what's she going to like try to tell? Winterfell, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, we totally tried to keep him safe, right? Like, it wasn't our fault, but yeah. he did get frozen in a lake north of the wall while trying to recover a zombie, and it was kind of this whole thing. He was yeah. supposed to write a letter for you about it. He didn't send anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Look, it's not just me saying it. Uh, I've got a wildling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Jorah uh, Marmont. Trainer. You know, the Kramos could back her up, but uh, the hound who killed Lady. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh God, yeah. The guy yeah. With the flaming sword. Believe him. No? Nobody knows him. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Davos could vouch for the plan, but still. Oh, I know. It's the just plan. it's a funny yeah. collection of people to come back and, yeah, and yeah. explain. Yeah. It so would have been crazy. pretty awkward for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got this undead thing too. Yeah. It's like we traded them. But One yeah, I, I I agree with Viv that the waiting wasn't it wasn't specifically for the dragon or specifically for John so much it was a holy crap we lost a lot yeah. just now that was really awful I I'm feeling like there's a shoe yet left to be dropped and I just can't turn away and make it be over yet yeah. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. I mm -hmm. I, I feel like uh yeah she just she needed a minute. <laughs> she just she just just give me a minute a minute that's okay. fair. Not on my nose. sit here yeah. thank you mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah that's fair so the night king turns Viserion into a zombie ice dragon Dude. so will it breathe fire i mean will it breathe ice right <laughs> or like that's my guess blue fire that burns hotter than red i think or ice I that just feels cooler to me yeah, mm -hmm. out, it'll be out. like an ice attack. It'll like be a freeze ray or something. Yeah. What yeah. What did Christiana say? Ice. <laughs> I think it'll be ice. That just seems cooler to me. 
<laughs> See, I'm glad I made you repeat that. Thank you. I missed that. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that actually happens after the scene with John and Danny. No, am I wrong? Well, I think oh, yeah, I yeah. think the dragon oh, waking yeah, the up John is the very Danny last scene. thing. Yeah, the John right. and Danny yeah. scenes before that. We t we touched yeah. on it a little bit, but um, I really liked that scene even more in the second viewing because on the one hand, you know this this tension between them of she feels like I I'm you know, I want to help you, but I, I can't let you still be in rebellion against me. It is because it undermines my whole position otherwise. Right. Um, so it's, it's not even just like a personal, like I'm being petty about it. It's like, how am I supposed to try to assert my claim for the iron throne? If I am actively working with someone who is in open rebellion against me like that, how does that work? Mm -hmm. And he is of course in a position of like, I'm trying to save the world right now and you are really getting uptight about this piece of it. And <laughs> so the tension there was real and like it was hard to see how it could be resolved. But I feel like they found a way to do it that felt genuine for both and leaves mm -hmm. them very close and united in a way that they hadn't been before. And it gave some levity um, it, it, it made me feel the chemistry between them for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also felt a little bit to me like it was resolving the tension we felt about Danny in general, and just in terms of the way she's been behaving this season of her having lost something really core. This, you know, this is a loss that really hurts. This is not like, oh, bummer, we lost the Greyjoy army, you know, the fleet. You know, like that's, that was frustrating. This is personal. Yeah, she and, lost a child. Yeah, and so that loss, but also being in a position where she can say, even with that loss, I'm not sorry that I went because she can basically just say, I really didn't understand before, but now I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I'm not going to force you to do it. But that's also when he is able to say, but I'm ready to now. And mm -hmm. I, I thought that was, I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. It was perfect. I actually saw real emotion between the two of them. Yeah. And it was the most emotion that we saw between them. And I really believed it. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely broke through on that that whole thing that I've been waiting to see. And I think it's finally there. You know, they could both put down the whole queen and king thing and just like relate on a human level since they both almost died together in this thing yeah. that nobody else is going to believe is true. Even with this dead guy, they're going to think it's some weird red priest magic or something. So, yeah. I mean, they're, arm they're, they're, they're battle buddies now. They're in the trenches together and it's just... I agree with, with something you said earlier too, Christiana. I was not expecting dragons versus, um, you know, I keep wanting to call him the walking Ted now. <laughs> Ever since that scene where they're outpacing John, getting around him on that little ice patch, I just keep thinking walking Ted. but um, the, um, the white walkers, I wasn't expecting to see a battle between them yet. And I also agree. I assumed that these fools would keep on fighting their little battle over the throne. 
and that this would come after that was resolved and that there'd probably be a new ruler after that. But I mean, this is just, it was, all of the things are happening so fast, but you know, not fast enough too. And I just think that they really, the scene on the ship, I think they just really handled it beautifully. Every little, I think, I feel like every little gesture and word is something that we have to pay attention to because they don't seem to be wasting any time that's remaining. They seem to be just be jamming it packed full yeah. of either really great character moments like we saw from the Magnificent Seven over the North of the Wall or yeah. like the really dynamic, huge, tremendous spectacle scenes. I think they yeah. did a great job on this episode. Well, I mean, I know I'm I'm biased, but you know, it was really good. <laughs> uh, I yeah, I I loved all of that stuff, and um, so you know, while I'll maintain, so I think even with the battle, we can certainly acknowledge that the 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 timeline of how long were they in that lake with with Gendry running back mm -hmm. and then sending mm -hmm. the raven and then the dragons yeah. flying up. That was pretty wishy-washy there. But at the same time, I don't mind it because the rest was so great. And then I feel like the Arya Sansa stuff um, is suffering from being stretched over too many episodes for how much mm. they're actually trying to do, I think. Yeah, that's mm. nice. Yeah, I can see that. We'll, we'll see how that actually uh, uh, turns out. But, you know, I feel like like many things in this show, we kind of need to know how it resolves before we can fully assess the execution of how it got there. Yeah. Because we don't know yet what they're hiding from us. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <gasps> Heavy episode, man. Yeah. Mm. We, uh, we got through all of it. Any other thoughts? Um, only that I really appreciated Paulette in the chat saying, mm -hmm. with my dragon freeze ray, I can stop the world. <laughs> um, I, as devastating as it is to lose the dragon to the other side, I am really excited about an ice dragon. Yeah. <laughs> I, this is kind of cool. Now, there is a book written by Martin called The Ice Dragon, which I okay. highly doubt this ice dragon will be anything like, because that's a children's book. And he has <laughs> denied that they are of the same world. Yeah, whatever. I don't yeah, care. I know, right? I think we're going to find out they're related. <laughs> to me, it's yeah. a fairy tale from, from uh, Westeros. But right? uh, I, I'm so excited about this, this development. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm not gonna lie, there was a um, an image that was flo uh, floating around. I'm not sure when it first hit, but I saw it before the season started, and it was of an uh, some you know, it was as if it was a GOT poster of an ice dragon with a rider that you couldn't really see. And so, like, I was kind of spoiled on the possibility of it. So when, I mean, I that's one of the reasons I was so suspicious, because I was kind of watching to see, is he planning this, or is this going to happen just by coincidence? You know, is he going to happen to get the dragon? And so that spoiler, that little graphic was very powerful and hard to forget. So when this happened, it was just like, sob. <laughs> and then, because it, it came true, and I was hoping it was one of those fake bullshit things. Right. In the show. Now, wait, there... let me specify. They don't show a rider on the dragon. They just, I think they show a figure with oh, the dragon. In the show, 
Is there much talk? I know that there's a lot less of it, but I don't know how much talk there is about Danny's betrayals. Very little. Okay. I just want to say her, her dragon turning to me mm -hmm. might yeah. be the third betrayal. Oh, you mean as far as, as far as the... Uh... Oh, no. you just, what was that? Yeah. Was that Mary Mastur? What was her name? Was that Mary her? Mary Mastur. Um, it wasn't though. It was uh, like Kate, Kate or something. Oh, yeah. She was oh, in, in yeah, the city the of Perth. Now we did get the the line about like she did. I believe receive the prophecy that talked about the betrayals. Yeah. I think that happened way back in like season two or something. Yeah, and it's not been constantly revisited. Like no. in, in the book where she's just thinking about it all the time. Mm -mm. Hmm. Yeah, we just um, while our kids were here, uh, the two the kids that live in in Texas, we actually our daughter in law started watching Game of Thrones for the first time. She wouldn't watch it the whole year they lived with us, but she started <laughs> watching it um, season one. And so Chooch and I were planning on watching it after the season ended, but it's already been so like we're like making eyes at each other and eye roll after this scene, I'm like oh or ooh or wow, you know like. <laughs> Aria is so very little. It's like the Harry Potter movies, you know? It's a <laughs> huge span of time. And it's just like, oh, she still had little baby fat cheeks and everything. Oh. oh, the previously on, like, really threw me when you saw how young John was. Like, okay, we all know yeah. how much Aria and Bran has have aged. Yeah. But when you see, like, yeah. little John. Little John. Yeah, and in that first episode, they shave his beard so he's ba total baby face smooth. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, mm -hmm. oh my god, I feel like a bad woman for the way you think about him sometimes because <laughs> he looks so young. Uh, Paulette says, "I did like the scene where the Night King awakens Viserion. There was a tenderness there beyond just I always wanted a dragon. It spoke to me of a backstory as yet untold." Yeah, um, I, I could see that. Is kind of like a I've been waiting so long for you to return to me mm -hmm. kind of a thing. I uh, I had this uh, conversation with uh, my friend Mike that I do like talking about Survivor with and so on where we were discussing the Ice King or the Night King rather, not the Ice King. The Ice King <laughs> from Adventure Time is a different character. Um, but we were just, oh my God, suddenly now. It just okay. bends your mind, mind doesn't it? Yeah. I know. Uh, anyway, um, yeah. that was an unintentional tangent. Uh, but what we were discussing was just the nature of the Night King and how so far he really hasn't got a lot of characterization, so to speak. Like, what does he want? Well, he wants to kill things and freeze the world or something, right? Yeah. Now, that said, I'm not disappointed so far. I feel like he's cool as a mysterious enemy, but the problem is, especially if he's going to remain like the series Big Bad, which seems likely at this point, um... I, he's going to have to continue showing up enough that there's going to be a pressure to reveal more about him. And mm -hmm. that's where that's a difficult line to walk with this type of character, because by revealing too much, you could ultimately kind of end up undermining his scariness. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you just don't ever reveal anything that could start to feel frustrating. Mm -hmm. Sue. So. Ratings? 
Ratings. Rating, rating. Who's got a rating? <laughs> so I'm going to say 100 out of 100 years that Alaria has been in that damn cell watching her daughter rot away, or at least that's how long it feels to her. Never forget the evil of Cersei Lannister. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad out of track of ratings. That's a long one. <laughs> I'm going to say uh, nine out of ten glasses of wine that Tyrion drinks after Danny flies off on those dragons. <laughs> right. I'm going with eight kilograms of plutonium. There you go. That's a good one. Um, I'm I'm having a hard time. I. Uh, I feel like the grump this season. I really do. Uh, there, there's a lot of highs and then a lot of lows and it's, it's, I can't just rate on the highs. Um, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to give it an, mm, mm, yeah, mm, I'll give it an <laughs> eight out of, I'm going to be generous and give it an eight out of 10. No stakes. Oh. <laughs> Absence of stakes. And that gives Up us until that eight. That big one, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But, well, um, <laughs> I mean, the, the dragon's a pretty big one, but really, it's, yeah. it didn't change. Like, I didn't suddenly go, oh, now everyone's at risk. No, it's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, it the all, dragon it did, can't die. <laughs> yeah. At the same it did all, it did feel less like these characters are actually doing dangerous things and therefore they might die. And that's where the stakes comes from. It did feel more like this is the next plot thing that happens. Yeah. Right. Mm. So, uh, Mike McCauley says eight out of 10 zombie ice bears. Uh, <laughs> says nine out of 10 ice bears. Mm. <laughs> nice. And what is next week's? Um, next week, oh, Red. I was going to just say in the preview, it looks like it's just all set up for the big uh, meeting between Danny and Cersei. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you had a great tweet about that after the episode, Christina. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, Chooch, why don't you tell us what the name of the episode is? Uh, the title the the season finale is "The Dragon and the Wolf." Um, I, uh, oh, the dragon and the wolf. That's interesting. Cause that makes it sound like it's more, more about Danny and John than Danny and Cersei. Um, but yeah, my, my tweet was, you know, preview for next time. And it was organized like a script. So like Danny. Okay. But really though. And then Cersei. Yeah. Nah. John mournful stare. Tyrion. Who wants wine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So the Dragon of the Wolf uh gives me hopes. Um I am hoping for a very good um season finale. Um I am guessing, and before we sign off, um I do want to check. I'm guessing that this is probably my least liked penultimate episode. Mm. Mm. But not cumulatively. Yeah. Uh, and I am I am correct there. <laughs> it, I mean, this increasingly, like this was a trend last season, and it's continuing this season that the the episodes are just much more uneven. Is that even when there might be parts of it that we just really love and are amazing, there's other parts that are like, oh, but that's not good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and. 
if you have an Arby's near you, you might want to check out. Apparently, next week in select cities at select Arby's, they are offering gigantic turkey legs at Arby's. <laughs> oh, sweet baby Jesus. In celebration of the Game of Thrones season finale. Oh, my God. Chooch. I know you're <laughs> going to do it, aren't you? <sighs> are there Arby's in New Mexico? There are. Of course. Really? There's Arby's everywhere. Oh, my Lord. I haven't been to a place yet that didn't have an Arby's. There's <laughs> one on Long Island last I knew, but I, I think it might actually be closed. And and so for me, like Arby's have always been a very uh, somewhere else kind of a thing. And there's none <laughs> in Canada. Uh, yeah, they have them in, had a bunch in North Carolina. Uh, I haven't seen them as much in Massachusetts. But is are the Renfair fans going to hate me if I say giant turkey legs are not actually you know, good. Like they're, they're not <laughs> like all the they are Yeah, disgusting. Yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> like the the novelty of carrying around is giant turkey leg, like that whole thing. Like the the novelty of eating it and carrying it around is like the whole appeal. They're they're not actually good. <laughs> yeah, just... On that note, the Maryland Renaissance Festival begins this weekend. Turkey legs abound! <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh... That's the worst thing about this. You just have, like, all these little eye hazards of people ripping up the legs. Because that's the only place I see people eat them, though. <laughs> I'm just, I suddenly <laughs> had a dark vision of of all of the turkeys that just, like, are, like, somehow still alive, but legless. Legless. <laughs> oh. Yeah, what did they do with the rest of the turkey? I'm not going to think about that, but thanks. They send yeah. them to a nice farm upstate where they all get these little wheeled scooters. Like yes. Molly. Yeah, that's what happens. Happily ever after. Mm. All right. So that was yeah. good? Looking forward uh, to next week? Yes. Mm-hmm. For reals. Hooray! Hooray. All right, I think that does it for us. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, everybody in the chat. Another very lively discussion. Yes. And everybody listening. And uh, we will talk to you next week for that season finale. (laughs) Bye. If you have feedback for the Beyond the Wall podcast, you can email us at btw at specficmedia.com. You can also leave us a comment on the website. Go to specficmedia.com where you'll find a shiny BTW button that'll take you right to our page. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0, Unported License. Feel free to share and remix. Just give us credit and don't charge money for it.